0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Right, we are good.
1: Babylon 5. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, ten years after the Earth-Mimbari War. The Babylon Project was a dream given form. Good afternoon, good evening and uh, good night uh, to all you people out there. and Welcome to Cy Powell's Babylon 5 podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh for fuck's sake i assume that's some sort of babylon 5 reference
1: yeah it's the opening It's to start the opening monologue from season one the the actual thing is and i have thought about doing this the the season five opening monologue's got like clips from um the first four seasons sort of interspersed in it and that, that would be a really perfect thing to just add on. And I was actually going to um, edit some of the size stuff but until he bailed on us this evening. Um. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm quite glad I just, uh, just let you roll with that, uh, to be honest. But I suppose we better get into it properly. to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan, usually, but well, as you probably guess, uh, Sai's not here this week. He's out on a, an ambassadorial cheese rolling mission uh, to uh, to the plains of Nebraska or something like that. Uh, so it's myself and my UTT co-host UTT Rob. Rob, how are you mate?
1: I'm really good. I'm really good. I was hoping to. to... Have, a, have an evening with Cy and grill him about this Babylon 5 podcast that's not going anywhere but uh, no such luck, he's running hidden.
0: Well it's you know he said it was very important Gloucester, Gloucester business uh, that kept him away so I don't quite, uh, I think he was just scared to be honest. Yeah well, there I think. we are.
1: So. Oh well reputation <laughs> precedes
0: yeah, so you, you yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you're deprived of sized dulcet tones this week. Uh, is there are obviously real life reasons, but I can't be bothered to get into that. The uh, the cheese rolling thing's far more amusing. Um, and I am woefully unprepared to uh, uh, to host this show because he's usually got the format and all these little spiels that he does. Um, so I guess we'll uh, we'll dive right into it, Rob. How did you get into Doctor? and what have you picked for us to cover this week?
1: Um, well, I've mentioned it before with other programmes. Uh, my mum was heavily into sci-fi, so I got sat in front of uh, a load of sci-fi from a very early age. Um, first memory of Doctor Who is during the Peter Davison era. Um, so, uh, you know, that's why he's my Doctor. Um, <laughs> it's always the way that it works out, isn't it? You know, the first one you can remember yeah. is uh, is the first it's, one. You'd, you'd have been thrilled
0: at me picking The Awakening then for... Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Peter Davison episode this season it, it could have been worse you could have picked snake dance or uh, uh kinder or something uh, and that, the thing about Davidson is that i think Davidson's the best doctor but that, god that team tardis with a cast of thousands with Nissa and tegan and Turlow and the chameleon the robots and um yeah just, just adrick good God adrick <sighs> but yeah, uh, 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 like, like Jodie Whittaker, a great doctor <laughs> with a, a, a cast of thousands hanging on with dialogue being spread out all over the place. And I bet no Bradley Walsh to, uh, to bring the humour either. Well, and the advantage of Jodie Whittaker is she's a town fan up the Terriers, <laughs> which, which means K9 is a Terrier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fuck's sake. So this week, uh, we're going back to 1967, uh, you've picked as Enemy of the World, which I know I asked you to tell us, but fuck it, i jumped in anyway. So how did you land on this one?
1: Yeah, there's a, a number of reasons to, to pick this one. Uh, one of them is one of the lost episodes. Originally, there was only one of the six episodes um, that people had access to. And right. it's only within the last few years that they found, I think it's 2013, um, they found the remaining five episodes in a TV um, storage room in Nigeria. So... It's was next have, the HCW tapes. I, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they'd recorded <laughs> over some Doctor Who with the HCW stuff. But it's one that had we been doing this podcast 10 years ago. We literally would not have been able to review this episode. Uh, I'll certainly not review it in the format that we have. Um, during the pandemic, I actually went through and watched the entirety of of Doctor Who. And at that time on BritBox, they, if there were any episodes missing, they just didn't have them on brick box so you Mm. had to go on daily motion and um, a lot of the Hartnell and Troughton episodes that were missing you literally just had photographs with the um, audio that people had recorded off the tv in audio form playing over the background
0: yeah I remember you telling me yeah
1: Yeah, so I've uh, since um, got back onto BritBox and gone and watched um, some some episodes recently, uh, and they've uploaded a load of the animations that they've put in to fill the gaps. So things like the Macro Terra, they'll be the actual episode bits, and then they'll be the animated bits.
0: Yeah, I keep meaning to check out a few of those, but, um, you know, times time's, uh, difficult to come by, if only I had a TARDIS. That would be ideal, but alas, not quite yet. But obviously this was my first... Uh, first viewing of this. Now I have um, I've watched a, a little bit of Patrick Troughton since starting the podcast. And mentioned a few times. I went and watched uh, War Games, uh, the uh, the ten part serial that uh, that led to Trouton's exit from the show. And everything we've watched, um, I've grown to really like Trouton as the Doctor. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite he's quite a cheeky chappy sort of thing, but he's got a very he's still got a very strong moral compass, and he's got that. It presents that sort of veneer of being a bit of a fool, despite quite obviously being the most intelligent person anywhere he sets foot, which I quite like about
1: him. I quite like the shift between Hartnell to Troughton because Troughton is the youngest Doctor, or at least, you know, with the Timeless Child, he, he, in his mind, is the youngest, and it is his first generation as far as he... regeneration as far as he's aware. And it feels like he's trying to be all... um, important and trying to play the big serious adult Mm. and it feels that once you get to Troughton he's comfortable enough in his own skin to be himself yeah It, it feels a more mature performance in in terms of he's not having to act the big i am so i really do like that about Troughton um just on this episode, um, there are a couple of other sort of notable facts. So, in this episode, there aren't any space aliens, monsters, that kind of thing, which is the usual mm-hmm. not who fodder. And there had been a couple in the um, William Hartnell um, Trout and Era where, where it's like that you just turn up and you're just dealing with a dickhead rather than uh, a monster, basically, <laughs> which is what we'll be dealing with today. Um, but. It's After this episode, it isn't until we get right the way to um, Peter Davidson and um, Black Orchid where you get another episode that essentially doesn't have a monster in it or an alien or some kind of spacey-waisty thing. And I don't think there's actually been another one since then. I know, I know you often mention um, the cannibals on Torchwood. Um, that's another example of, you know... Um, yeah, but, on- but, that's, but that's Torchwood. <laughs> Well, I think it's funny, though, watching things like Torchwood and Sarah Jane, you know, you always get these um, sort of monologues from the Doctor, uh, you know, uh, that great Matt Smith one on his first episode where he's uh, saying, you know, uh, he gets the aliens to look about who the Doctor is and, um, Mm. you know, they run away because the Earth's defended. And then you watch some of the expanded media, and the Doctor's never fucking there, and they have to deal with it themselves. (laughs)
0: Well, he can't be everywhere all at once. Although, well, I suppose technically he can.
1: Yeah, but in, in theory, so just playing out this logical um, conclusion after The Timeless Child, if if the Doctor is immortal and has unlimited lives and lives forever, technically he's everyone in every story. I think he just broke my brain. <laughs> it has to be the logical conclusion. If, if he's immortal, he has to have gone through <laughs> every iteration. That's why he knows what's happened, because he's seen it through someone else's eyes. I mean, I know that, you know, let, Let's let's forget that, but... You know, um,
0: we'll see what will see what pans out with the uh, with the Timeless Child stuff.
1: One thing I did um, look up because uh, I've often heard um, you and Simon mentioning how lower budget was for Doctor Who, and that's why the effects are a bit shitty. Uh, yeah. This episode, we actually do get some on-location filming, and we, we get a helicopter and a hovercraft. Obviously, a bit of shit hovercraft, but even so, they, they spent this, they dropped some money on this episode, um, mm. and they actually it was the first episode they had with the high-definition camera. It being lower definition before this, so the clear investment. But I, I looked up the budget and compared it to some of the shows that were going on around the time. Doctor Who uh, for the twenty-two-minute episode, the budget was three thousand pounds. That's a lot
0: of money in nineties. Well, sixty-seven.
1: Yeah, so about you know six thousand for like an hour-long episode with um uh, breaks. If you compare that to its um, competitors at the time, you compare it to the Avengers, which I think had just its season finale the week before for season five, the week before this episode came out. The one-hour show of that, the budget was fifty-six grand.
0: Bloody hell!
1: Yeah, Star Trek, um which at this point. While this episode comes out, there's some absolute bangers. Um, a piece of the action, Trouble with Tribbles, which is you know one of the hard Trekkies' favourite episodes. Their budget in in British money equivalent sixty two point five thousand pounds an episode. Wow. Yeah. So,
0: compar- so comparatively, 2 is working on a shoestring.
1: Yeah. Well, in modern money, the sixty two point five is one point two million uh, in today's money. And just to put it in perspective, the current Star Trek budget per episode is 8.5, so it shows you how much they've stepped up. And I think Doctor Who's (laughs) rumbling around that 1.2, so it's still getting getting a lot less. The the Prisoner, though, which, you know, um, was sort of ITV's love letter to Patrick McGowan and held up as one of the greatest TV series of all time, and visually stunning, £75,000 an episode.
0: that's incredible see when i said i was woefully unprepared for hosting this show i'm really glad it's you that's on with me not just because we've podcasted together a million times and you know it's always easy talking to you but i knew you'd have gone into all this stuff (laughs) that i just i just did not have time for so that is that is amazing um one thing I did have a chance to go into, I, I do have a couple of my tropes, as you, do, you know, uh, people who've played other characters in Doctor Who. But I'll get to that as we uh, as we go through the episode. So how do you want to do this, Rob? Because we've, we've sort of gone one of two ways, uh, me and Sai, have looking at these things. We, know that we sometimes go through um, you know, the story sequentially as it happens, or we just uh, just pick and choose bits. Um, how would you prefer to go?
1: Oh, I think we flip over to IEV and watch Massimbula versus Jim Hussey that was on the same week that this started. Cool, is that on daily motion? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, get back onto the next one. No, I am um, absolutely happy. Whatever way you you want to do it, if you want to try and go through it. Uh, uh, normally, do you, we'll, do you we'll want to go through. We'll,
0: we'll start. We'll start from the beginning, and uh, we'll uh, we'll just see where the conversation takes us.
1: Um, uh, I know it's for sure. normal format. You normally go through like the actors and stuff that are in it, if you want.
0: No, I mean, yeah, we can do it. Uh, normally, I normally I butt in with the uh, right. butt in with the tropes as and when the uh, the characters appear. But if you've got anything in particular you want to get into, by all means, because we we start out on a beach with the the Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria, and it's uh, it's not too long before we're uh, before they're accosted by three guys and and saved by Astrid just to give a very rough uh, a rough summation of the first sort of, five minutes.
1: Yeah, and, and this felt really big because they're actually on location. They've got a hovercraft that looks like a converted VW Beetle on there. Um, got, <laughs> you know, and, but a lot of this era of Doctor Who is on set filming and not going out on location. And, and it feels big that, that they've got it there. Um, the confusion at the start, and uh, I think there's like a video conference we see, and um, we get... Um, anton calling um uh, astrid and um, they they believe the man on the beach looks like um this essentially dictator salamander who's in charge of the world
0: yeah well he's, he's an aspiring uh, an aspiring dictator isn't he uh, we find out but before we get to that what i really love on this is, is a couple of things the doctor's all excited to be on a beach and he's just running off asking for a bucket in spades and, and and you got Jamie there, quite sort of poor faced and and just like being averse at the to the childishness of playing sandcastles. And the Doctor just strips off and runs in in his undergarments into the <laughs> into the ocean for a swim, which again is that sort of Patrick that Patrick char- Trout and Charm that I mentioned before. It's he manages to do do things like that and have these sort of quirks, but they never feel forced or uh, or false, and and they generally come across as quite endearing.
1: Yeah, and we also get Victoria cosplaying as Jamie, tart and hat. Uh, tart and
0: <laughs> I didn't, I must admit, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, didn't clock that. Um, but we find it, obviously, think they set up things and uh, not Earth as we know it, because they're in something called the Australasian zone, uh, as Anton's identifying who he thinks the doctor is. And uh, like I say, Astrid's going along, and it's, it's action pretty much right away. With the the three men in the hovercraft car um, shooting at at the Doctor, Victoria, and Jamie, Um, and uh, the Doctor actually comes out with a great line when they see uh, when they're sort of looking at the um, looking at these men accosting them. Uh, Victoria Victoria comes out first with the uh, they're on they're in a world of madmen, and then the Doctor says the human, if that's what you mean, indulging in their favourite pastime of destroying each other.
1: Yeah, I did like that. I did like that. This hovercraft chase scene was very reminiscent of um, the John Pertwee hovercraft chase scene in the Planet of the Spiders. And uh, I just love a uh, a once every 10 years naf Doctor Who <laughs> hovercraft chase scene.
0: That's what we need in the uh, the 60th anniversary.
1: Yeah, definitely. Chitty <laughs> hovercrafts. Yeah.
0: Um. The uh, the men catch up with him, or one of them does, and you get Jamie yelling "Brigadoon" and one punch ko's the guy.
1: Cheers, Tank <laughs> Abbott. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you get Astrid, Astrid landing a heli. Oh, the person who will come to Noah's. Astrid landing a helicopter, which is a very small, very rickety looking thing. It's basically it's like a, like a sort of micro light helicopter.
1: You say it's a small rickety looking thing. I, I bet that costs a fair chunk of the budget for. A normal oh, episode yeah. getting that helicopter in. Oh it will have done, but what I, what I was thinking is
0: I was looking at this and I saw Jamie get in and then sit Victoria on his knee and then the takeoff, I would not want to be Victoria sat unsecured in someone's lap in that tiny dollless helicopter.
1: Shades of Kevin Nash arriving at Nitro with the NWO girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna happen a lot tonight, isn't it?
0: That that Babylon five references. <laughs> um, but we get a bit of uh, we get a bit of peril. The uh, the f- uh, the fuel tank's been shot, so they might blow up. But the uh, the uh, J- I think is it Jimmy or the Doctor clocks that the pilot's license runs out on New Year's Eve, twenty eighteen.
1: Yeah, because it is looking at the pack test sign. So yeah. every time they tell you in the office to get your, your uh, equipment tested, <laughs> this is why so that random time travelers can uh, pinpoint whereabouts they are
0: yeah um, but yeah it's like I said all action straight away so I was, uh, I, was I was pretty hooked in eager to find out what happened um, Astrid lands a helicopter uh, to find out she's been shot and uh, the doctor sort of introduced himself asking for a medical kit yada 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 and uh, <laughs> he asked Astrid who the men were and why they were trying to kill him he Says, kill you they hate you and he just says, me I'm the nicest possible person <laughs>
1: i did like that but there was a bit just before this because astrid's like asking him um who the doctor is and says are you a doctor and he says not of any medical significance and she said a doctor of law philosophy and the doctor said which law whose philosophy
0: i did like that yeah i saw that as well i just forgot i just didn't have time to write it down when i was watching this episode because i had to uh i had to sort of watch these in in three sittings as and when i could um, so mind you, I say that I was trying. To, I was trying to pare back my notes and, and do things a bit quicker than I normally do. I still manage nearly five and a half thousand words. <laughs> I just can't stop. Um, so yeah, she's telling him that, telling the doctor that they hate him, uh, the hate the man that they think he is passionately. But to Astrid, he's the most marvellous man to drop out of the sky. And uh, the do- we see there, the doctor is very susceptible to flattery. And there's a wonderful moment where he's got this big, <laughs> this big grin on his face until she says it will probably cost you your life. And the face drop from Patrick Trouton was wonderful.
1: <laughs> I love I love Patrick Trouton's facial expressions. I mean, I don't know if you're going to think this this is genius or, or crap, but. The way in this episode he can convey being n- nice or an absolute bastard just by the look on his face, mm. it's brilliant. Yeah,
0: because we do get a lot of Patrick Trout's face in this because he effectively plays two, uh, two characters. He plays the main hero, the doctor, and the main villain, Salamander. But very much like um, Tom Hardy in Legend, when he's playing both Craybill brothers, they Might be the same person, but they feel very distinct characters, yeah. And it's the Troughton's performance is, is truly one of the uh, one of the sort of highlights of this serial. Apart from bits of it where his accent sounds something reminiscent of Allo Allo. the
1: thing about Troughton is Troughton loves doing an accent. There's an episode of Minder that he's in called Windows, it's actually got Jeanette Fielding, who was Tegan in um, the Five, Fifth Doctor's Companion, but. He plays, in that show, for no apparent reason, an Italian. And it seems like just Patrick Troughton has something in his contract that says he has to do a ridiculous accent that he's got no ability to do. And and I'm not saying the Sean Connery way of uh, accents, of just doing his normal voice, whatever part he's playing is necessary. <laughs> but, but Troughton thinks he's amazing at accents, and it's just all the same for whatever type of accent he's trying to do.
0: So his Italian's going to sound like the Mexican that he attempts
1: in this episode but he's passionate about it and that's what you've got to respect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. The one thing that I remembered as well is um, Ray Winston's attempt at a Russian accent in Black Widow. If you've seen yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I not know. good. Yeah, so some people should be banned. <laughs> Just like Red Card.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, Astrid basically wants to take him, uh, take the Doctor to a man called Giles Kent uh, because he's the spitting image of a man who's determined to become dictator of the world. Salamander, um, the hovercraft pulls up and the hide as the uh, the men break in. And the music at this point went very dramatic. There was obviously some—I uh, don't know if they put some money behind it or they just got some very very enthusiastic uh, students to do it—but did very well. Um, and one of the uh, one of the intruders gets taken out by Astrid, and uh, someone shoots the guy in uh, in the living room.
1: I can't believe yeah. those very enthusiastic students. So I was going to mention about the very enthusiastic students that tied a load of Commodore Amigas together and did the graphics for Babylon Five, which side <laughs> Babylon Five podcast?
0: fucking <laughs> okay, now. Uh, but uh, the the other two uh, intruders go out trying to take, uh, take the helicopter, and everybody just watches as it blows up because of the hole in the fuel tank. Which was, uh, turns out, a nice bit of foreshadowing. Uh,
1: again, though, decent effects, considering the budget that we're on. You know, this isn't what we in the normal Doctor oh, yeah. episodes in 1967. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, and like I say again, all action straight to the point.
0: Really enjoying it uh, to this point. Uh, I might be telegraphing my thoughts on, uh, on later episodes there. Um, we go to see a man called Giles Kent. Uh, we cut straight to that. And he's circling the doctor, saying he's incredible, and we get another great line from Trouton. I'm not especially
1: no glass ball. <laughs> the, there, there was a brilliant bit in this because um, the doctor's saying he's been out of touch with um, world events, uh, and he says he's been on ice. And the previous episode was the Ice Warriors, and uh, ah. before that there was like a Yeti episode as well. So I think he spent, you know, in episode terms, like eight, or um, ten episodes in in icy storylines
0: see if I'd have watched the rest of them that would have been really clever (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they're running through basically who Salamander is and, and what he's been doing and there's things like He's uh, they showed him a video and said, "There's something called the Mark Seven Sun Catcher, concentrating the sun's rays into much-needed areas, saving the Canadian wheat plains, rejuvenated the cornfield in the previously decimated Ukrainian fields. Ten thousand robot harvesters bringing in th- thousands of tons of flour."
1: I mean, just just with what's going on at Ukraine at the moment, and the talking about um, you know the Dnieper Valley and the mentioning the names of cities that you know this time last year we. With the best way in the world, we weren't that familiar with, and yeah. it, it's just just so sad that you know the reason that we're knowing full well where these places are is, is because of everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, it's um well, the, you can't really put words to it, can you? No, it's uh, it's, it's bloody awful, and it, it makes the it makes this sort of what would have at the time been a throwaway sentence all the more poignant. Yeah, because in the wake of everything, when, you know, hopefully it does end swiftly, that's exactly what they'd need over in Ukraine. But anyway, um, I don't want to get, get bogged down by that too much. Um, so basically on the back of that, the uh, the doctor and, and Jamie and Victoria don't really see what's so bad in him. Um, saying, you know, they say, oh, he's, he's beloved in some quarters and called the shopkeeper of the world, you know, the saviour from starvation.
1: Yeah, and Trouton says he's remarkably handsome too, don't you think, Jeremy? Yeah.
0: Well <laughs> 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 even then, even that little bit of ego is quite endearing from Trouton, isn't it? it yeah. It's just fantastic. Um, and they explain what the uh, the Mark Seven Suncatcher is, and it's a device to store the sun's rays and, and basically used to force grow crops, so it can do you know an, an entire you know four entire rotations of crops in you know in one season um but apparently using it to you know wherever he wants and using it to take control step by step we find out that giles was uh, was once the deputy security leader for uh, for north africa and europe but he was discredited and, and ruined uh, by salamander because uh, salamander was suspicious of uh, of uh, giles kent trying to take him down which all you know adds, uh, adds a good bit of intrigue but what i like about this is the doctor doesn't immediately go all in
1: yeah, yes, I, I, a
0: genuine suspicion.
1: I love that about this episode. And often um, there can be the doctor, oh, there's an alien, I've got to go and deal with it. And because we are literally, again, just dealing with a dickhead, the doctor is on that cusp <laughs> of do I need to interfere or don't I? And. I don't know in my own little head canon with all this stuff about division and uh, you know I think the roof doctor probably comes in season 6B after the, after the war games and before Pertwee, but it feels in these early um Hart, uh, Hartnell and Troughton as if they're just going to random places like you know we'll, we'll go to the Aztec empire we'll, we'll go to the romans we'll go to um you know the highland clearances that kind of thing and they're just dealing with dickheads whereas later on they're going to specific places for specific reasons that will tie in mm. and it it feels like there's the free reign and within that there's well do we actually need to do anything
0: yeah yeah exactly it's and it's just a great it's just a great you know great lesson don't all you know establish the facts and re- you know require proof take what people say and understand and sort of, you know, respect to understand where they're coming from, but always demand irrefutable evidence. Yeah. You know, it's it's what, you know, basically don't believe everything you read on social media, <laughs> which Christ almighty, I think uh, a good portion of the world needs that right now. Uh, Giles Kent's running through, uh, you know, who, you know, has been replaced and then... Uh, they can only turn to one man, Alexander Dinesh, uh, who was uh, Giles' replacement. Um, Victoria's again asking the right questions. You know, why Salamand? Why hasn't Salamander tried to kill Giles? And it's because he says it's because a dead man's testimony still carries weight. Yeah. Which, if he's discredited in life, why would it make any difference in death? Don't understand that, but anyway, uh, Giles wants the Doctor to impersonate Salamander. Uh, the Doctor object but you can again think this is uh, the real Patrick Troughton shining through Rob as you said earlier he, he deduces that Salamander was born in Yucatan and uh, it'll take it he just sort of relishes the prospect of perfecting the accent yeah well, that
1: loves an accent has no ability yeah. to do one
0: <laughs> so Charles Kent's plan is to uh, is to infiltrate Salamander's base and bring out proof uh, the attempts of world domination and uh, the Doctor says it'll take three to four weeks to perfect the accent. But uh, unfortunately, Salamander yeah, I know.
1: Troughton wasn't thinking that. Troughton was thinking, I've got this nailed. He read that script and it was like, <laughs> he was like, use my own accent, cross, cross, Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> he had
0: a little bit of tip, tip extra. Yeah. Mexican. <laughs> I believe it. Um, yeah, Salamander's head of security is on his way, and he'll arrest the doctor for impersonation. And the doctor figures out that Giles Kent is the one who called Bruce, which you know, and that sort of plants the seed of Giles being willing to do go to sort of great lengths and put and put himself at risk to get what he feels he needs, which yeah. is which is very which is sort of a, an important character trait because there's quite a lot of um, I want to say animosity. But the Doctor and Giles Kent are always at odds and usually overproof. And then later on, the fact that Giles Kent wants um, basically wants Salamander killed. Yeah. Wants him assassinated.
1: Yeah, there's always healthy suspicion there. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah.
0: And uh, we're sort of coming to the end of the of the first episode now, because uh, Donald Bruce comes in, who's uh, played by Colin Douglas, who would go on to be Reuben in Horror of Fang Rock in 1976. Seven. Um, shockingly, not one that I've seen, but I don't know if you've seen. Well, you would have seen Horror yeah. Fang Rock if you remember it. Or yeah, remember I have,
1: yeah. Uh, he actually does the voice of the Rutons. It's the only episode the Rutons, the eternal enemy of um, the Zygons, appearing
0: Right, okay.
1: Yeah, they're, they're like green blobby things. Uh, he, he actually plays the Lighthouse Keeper and he does the voice for that as well. Uh, yeah, it's a Tom Baker and Leela storyline. Yeah.
0: Ah, oh, fair enough. Um, so, Bruce comes in saying, you know, someone was shot in Astrid's bungalow, the remains of two more in the helicopter, and where's the other man? Um, one of his soldiers kicks the door in, and the doctor walks out, doing his finest impression of Captain Bertarelli from Aloello. Uh, saying, hello, Bruce, what are you doing here? Huh? <laughs> uh,
1: and, as, and as I say, at the end of all of these hangers for <laughs> Doctor Who, and that's when the doctor died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we've just come to the episode end of episode one there so we, uh, bbc wouldn't have an ad break at this point but when the show was getting replayed on granada men and motors this certainly would have had time for an ad break and if you oh, want to go to TapsBeers.co.uk and put in the promo code uttpodcast15 you can get 15 percent off which reminds me dan are you drinking
0: I am mate. Yeah, they're funnily enough. The uh, the beer fifty two fairies came last weekend, so I'm mopping up of mopping up the rest of that box. I started off on uh, on a burler uh, dark matter Burling stout at five percent, which was all right. These are only three thirty mil cans, by the way. I'm not just tanning uh, tanning being up four hundred mil after four hundred mil. Um, and now I want a a white hag uh, gola seca, which is an Italian dry stout. And then I've got a few more lined up for after that. One the highlight of which will be the uh, uh, the keys baby caramel fudge stout
1: lovely what are you on pal excellent now i had this thought i was on untapped and i was thinking there's loads of tartarus beers that are in production anymore that i haven't had so what am i going to do so the rainville fairies have been because there, <laughs> there were i locked on in the morning there were three i hadn't had and then when i went on in the afternoon the last one of the alpha delta collab had gone so sad times i haven't got that but at the moment i am drinking fighting back the Ty- titans which is it, it's through an initiative called fuck cancer beer projects which i think just does loads of collabs between different breweries and mm-hmm. charity beers um this one's between tartarus and twisted, twisted wheel brew co it's a 10 percent stout it's absolutely fucking lovely i've given it five out of five brilliant yeah uh, and then after that i've got um Urily, which is a coffee pale ale, 5% from Tartarus Beers. Again, another...
0: Oh, that's an awesome
1: bottle. Yeah. Uh, Awesome uh, bottle slash can out, as as always, from Tartarus. Um, And and that's actually a collab with Third Wave. Um, Again, (laughs) uh, an out-of-production Tartarus beer, so uh, very happy to have picked that up.
0: Good stuff. I might have to go to Greenville myself. Have a we peruse. I've not been to them for a good long while, but uh, I guess we should. Uh, I guess we should run through uh, some more of these episodes quickly then, before we're both too pissed to talk. Especially on this ten percent. Yeah. Yeah. no, Jesus a while since i've had something that strong myself but there we go so yeah going into this bruce thought that salamander was in the central european zone and there's some you know the sort of verbal gymnastics and you know how dare you question me from uh, the doctor impersonating salamander Uh, but why don't you just uh, take us through uh, the next little bit rob Uh, yeah
1: so we get a great um Um, line from the doctor, is um, saying Salamander's uh, refusing to uh, um, explain his presence and the doctor says "Um, sometimes I deal with matters in my own way. I like that. In in his crappy Mexican accent. (laughs) In my own Um, way. Yeah, in in my own way, (laughs) Bruce. (laughs) Um, uh, Bruce is sceptical of the explanation uh, and um, even more sceptical of the dead man that they found in Astrid's house. Um, and uh, he, get, he gets overruled by Salamander um, and um, Troughton uses this as a great excuse to uh, chew Bruce out and um, that Bruce leaves and tells Jamie to watch his step. Yeah, it's
0: it's at this point Bruce comes in. Now Bruce ends up being a, quite an interesting character and a much more... Um, A much more sort of nuanced character than you'd expect because he comes in as your typical sort of security thug doesn't he you know you've given he's been given a fancy title and a and you know a a uniform and suddenly he thinks he's king shit at a mountain but um his sort of fastidiousness and dedication to the rules and in his job of, of keeping people safe actually ends up working working for the good of everybody which i thought was a fun little twist
1: yeah I, I did like that and uh, i mean you actually get a little bit of foreshadowing from the doctor here where he says um that to kent that uh, you're clearly on opposite sides but which one is good and which one is evil
0: yeah and again this sort of this questioning and this healthy skepticism of who's the you know who's the who's actually the bad guy because he's got not got enough evidence is um is really quite good and so Jamie and uh, and Victoria have seen enough, and I quite like Jamie saying that the Doctor he knows the Doctor can't pass up the challenge. You know, he, he sort of called the Doctor out, and he, he knows what decision he's going to reach, because obviously if he decided to bugger off, this would be done by now. Um, and they essentially decide to split up. Giles can sort out the visas and passes needed for Astrid, Jamie, and Victoria to travel by rocket to uh, whichever they're going, whichever zone they're going to. And uh, Giles and the Doctor are going to the research facility in Kanoa
1: yeah, and the doctor even does point out at that point that it's awfully convenient that Giles has the ability to forge the documents.
0: Yeah, yeah, he does. There's there's a lot of little things sort of dropping in that, to me, seemed either inconsequential or I didn't. I just didn't fully think through until right at the very end. Um, which, again, I always like in a story. Uh, to be honest, I you know I like to have that moment of. Oh, that's what that was, and you you know you look back and think, yes. either you either think to yourself I called it or you think how did I miss it? Um, we get uh, Bruce. Uh, we cut to Bruce, who's in a meeting with uh, the leader of the research station, uh, Benick and interrogating yeah. about whether he saw Salamander actually leave for the Central European Zone. Now, Benick, Benick
1: I was gonna say I was gonna say he's been in everything. So Benick
0: yeah, he's played by Milton Jones, not the comedian uh who milton johns uh, hey it's milton johns isn't it i think i thought it was listed as Mil- i thought it was listed as milton jones on imdb all oh, right okay so um, let I'm me like- just double check because i actually have the page up now where's bennick oh no that's episode
1: one called milton john so you'll find on mock the week and many a panel game show you
0: see, I thought he was Milton Jones, the comedian. But this, anyway, this guy's Milton Jones, who plays Bennick, who would go on to be Guy Crawford in The Android Invasion in 1975. Uh, he would also play Kellner in The Invasion of Time in 1977. And he would play Mr Sinclair in the 1989 last video show episode of Minder.
1: No, oh, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did actually watch that so <laughs> um, yeah, just to uh, just to see it, to see him in there with, the, with Terry trying to get behind the counter of the video show. Um, the um, Invasion of Time, um, the doctor uncovers a plot on Gareth there. But there's this is really weird bit at the start where he um, he has like a covert meeting and it makes the doctor look like he's been a dickhead. Um, mm. it, it's really weird. Um the uh, android invasion I always think they spend so much time in this village pub it's like, in my mind it's like the pub episode
0: <laughs> they just wanted to get pissed while they were filming yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's um, with Sarah Jane and Harry and Brigadier yeah uh, um, uh, Mil- Milton Jones was actually in um, Star Wars and Coronation Street um, Yeah, so- it was loads of stuff it was in my mum's favorite ever sitcom butterflies which also featured future time traveling philanderer nicholas lyndhurst who was in goodnight sweetheart
0: <laughs> i love um, that phrase time
1: traveling philander yeah it's not captain jack this time <laughs> you know it's uh, nicholas lyndhurst <laughs> and jeffrey palmer's in that who was in um the titanic episode with david Tennant and Kylie minogue
0: all oh, right okay brilliant I love all those signs, but Bennick in this is so we've sort we we praised Patrick Trouton for his performances in this. Bennick is fantastic. Is he yet another example that we found on on the Doctor Who pod of the writers just really knowing how to write a bastard?
1: Yeah, he's really good, and uh, I think he's a really decent actor in like the various things that I've seen him in. He has a really. Good way of either playing a bastard, or playing someone that's really downtrodden, or you know is is being really good in everything I've seen him in.
0: Yeah, it's just he it, it exudes this arrogance, but also you can tell there's this underlying cruelty. And even just in this first exchange with uh, with Bruce, you get a bit of the the cowardice that goes with it as well. Like he's a bit sly and and all the rest of it, because the you know the speculating on where Salamander actually is, who's contacting him. Um, when he can be contacted next, and Bennick calls Bruce a, a domineering bully, and says that's exactly what you'd expect of a glorified bouncer. Yeah, um, but he still does what Bruce, what Bruce asks him to do, and sets up a direct link with Salamander in a notification of when the transmission's accepted. Um, which I thought, I just thought was a real nice little setup between these two because they're both obviously of a position in yeah. Salamander's. Organization, but they want the other one out of the way.
1: Yes, yeah, definitely.
0: Adds a good layer of intrigue. And then we see the real salamander <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with it in his full almost mono browed glory. <laughs> it uh, it, 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 it there were they were terrible eyebrows, weren't they? Uh, but he's warning uh, Alexander Denishia that his zones are uh, endangering various areas. Uh, Dinesh is protesting they've had no trouble in the mountains, the volcanoes have been dormant since the 16th century. And then so we've got Salamander sort of positioning himself as some sort of clairvoyant, saying that all his predictions so far have been accurate. Um, one of his, his servants, one of Salamander's servants, comes in and comes to know Faria, uh, saying there's refreshments and and all the rest of it, and, and they're split up. But that was just like a little setup scene. And then we get Jimmy and Victoria and Astrid.
1: I'm just going to say on oh, Dennis, uh, Dennis mm. was played by George um, um, Prava, who was also been in a couple of Doctor Who storylines. He was in The Mutants as uh, Jager, which is the third Doctor and Joe story. He, he was in The Deadly Assassin as um, um, the Castellan. Uh, when they're on Gallifrey, and um, that character gets referred to even in sort of modern Who. Um, but um, that's an episode on Gallifrey that features the Krusty Master. The Krusty
0: Master. I still need to watch that. See, that was the that was the Deadly Assassin one.
1: Yeah, the Deadly Assassin. He's been in lots. He was actually in Thunderball. Um, the James Bond. Oh yeah,
0: I did see that. Yeah,
1: and the, the week before um, the first episode of the series um, went out, it was an episode of The Prisoner, which was you know seventy-five grand mm. <laughs> budget, um, uh, called A Change of Mind, uh, where he played the, pl- uh, the plastic surgeon who uh, uh, did work on Patrick McGoon when he escaped from the village. Um, so yeah, so uh, all over TV at this point, and uh, two of the highest-rated shows.
0: Fair enough. Well, Funny enough, Tom Baker is one of the doctors I've got left to make picks for this season, and Deadly Assassin is one of my shortlist for him. So now that I know that it involves the crispy Doctor or the crusty Doctor, sorry, that may just swing it for me. But we'll uh, we'll, come, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, next up, we cut to Jamie and Victoria, not so subtly sat on a bench, um, just trying to figure out what to do as uh, as Astrid comes along to give them the access cards to Salamander's residence, it's, uh, it's not great at this bit, but it's necessary to sort of set up what they're doing and where they're going, a bit of a sort of non-entity. One bit I yep. do like is that is that uh, Astrid says that she's arranged a meeting with Denesh in, dis- in a disused jetty by the river, and when we actually see that jetty, my god is it shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Well, laughs> it went very much in episode one, can't you? It was like. It,
0: it's a few pallets that have been yeah. broken down.
1: It, the, um, during the. Um, when he said to meet them at the jetty, um, and they're on the walkie talkies, uh, there's a disused jet, jetty, and the doctor says a disused yeti. And obviously, two episodes ago was the abominable snowman, where yeah. they're fighting the yeti. So, <laughs> yeah, I
0: wondered if that was a reference to uh, a previous episode. I, yeah, that was, that was good.
1: Well, said about the budget of these shows. The one thing Doctor Who had over the other shows was it had continuity, and mm-hmm. the BBC knew which episodes they were showing in which order. So, Star Trek tried to like set up some canon, but then the TV station were just like, nah, we're going to show episode 15 first and we're going to chop them around and, and shuffle them up. And they just they literally just have to give up mid-series into trying to make anything make sense and do everything standalone. So Doctor Who, even though it's got this tiny budget, has this bingeability factor that still feels like a Netflix show of today because they were allowed to put those things in place.
0: Yeah, it's a great shame for those other shows, but great for Doctor Who, so brilliant. <laughs> That's great stuff. Um we cut back to uh, to Salamanders again and, and there was a fellow who stayed behind before. Who we find out uh, later on is called Federin, uh, who's still there drinking, and uh, sort of is there with him, and uh, you know he's got some anxieties about what Salamander wants to talk about, and <laughs> saying that you know she's not an, surmising that she's not an ordinary servant, and all the rest of it. Just uh, he's just sort of panicking really when, she, when he finds out that Farrier's uh, Salamander's food taster but his drinks haven't been tested.
1: Yeah, she says it's nice to have uh, some help for a change, <laughs> and it's like, "Why? What do you do?"
0: <laughs> yeah, it is funny that it's she's she's quite an amusing character. Is uh, is Furia, um, even if that was a bit, little bit sinister, but uh, she'd um, she also laid a uh, sort of laid a seed there by saying Brujo in reference to Salamander. Yeah, and I, I believe that Brujo means uh, means witch or something like that. So, again, a nice little sort of drop there that sort of sets the seed for later. Um, let's have a look. Top it? Oh, the next, oh, the next bit. Jamie comes in saying, uh, you know, the, the remark how well protected Salamander is. And uh, he clicks his fingers and armed guards, guards appear. Jamie launches himself in, grabs a gun off a guard, backs everyone up, takes a box off the table and launches it into the distance. Astrid presses a button and it explodes. So we did get an explosion in this episode, just not as big as a helicopter.
1: Well, yeah, they're, they're still making, they're still ringing out that budget though, aren't they? So yeah,
0: they must have had a little, had a little bit of explosive left, and thought, how can we fit this in? Um, but it's all a, basically all a plot to uh, to get Jamie into uh, into Salamanders in a circle, essentially, because very quickly he becomes uh, becomes one of Salamander's guards. Yeah, because.
1: Patrick Troughton um, is using another excuse to talk just like a Mexican one uh, would with, uh, it's not so good boys. I'm watching you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounded like a 1940s New York mobster. Yeah. Oh, God. But, yeah, and he gets Victoria a job in the kitchen as well. And uh, we find out that... Uh, uh, you know, Salamander Pitt repays loyalty, and, and Brujo means a sorcerer in Mexican. Uh, Jamie goes to get Victoria. Astrid's still sat on the same bench, and she exits quickly as as Ferreira uh, turns up. And uh, yeah, just escorts them back. Basically, we're coming to the end of the uh, sort of second episode now. We we get to the uh, the world's shortest jetty made out of old pallets and uh, stuck together with chewing gum.
1: It's like a burning yeah.
0: thing. Wooden pallets. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way Dennish is having to like move himself. He's obviously very uncomfortable, you know, for a, for a sort of you know, maybe middle-aged or, or man or bloke in his sixties, whatever he is. And she's saying that that was the safest place she could think of, which oh, looks literally. like a place to... <laughs> because they know that the kids won't be there to drink and smoke yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! It was it was bad. It was bad. Uh, the basically they've got a plan. Um, Astrid's off back to Giles. Um, you know, could not hold off. But they hear footsteps on the uh, on the jetty, and they uh, they discuss the attempts on Salamander's life. And Astrid, st- Astrid asks if Federin would betray Denish. And we immediately cut to Federin being blackmailed. Um, yeah, Sal- Salamander's got some form of dossier on him, which is. Uh, which is sort of manufactured and Salon Lander reveals there's a cataclysm coming and Dinesh is going to be assassinated. Uh, loud rumbling interrupts them and the uh, entire uh, Peugeot's tow car range is erupting and we get some extended uh, stock footage of
1: volcanoes. They did the best possible thing they could for the money. Uh, I would say that but actually they had a shit ton of money on this episode they just blew it in uh, episode one. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but we got ash in the streets you know the fire the lava all the rest of it and, and it filled time yeah. as uh, sort of cheesy as it was um, but Bruce is in he's going to investigate the following the reports of the attempt on Salamander's life uh, Salamander effectively dismisses it as nothing and shows Bruce the volcano so we get more stock footage to fill time uh, Dinesh comes in and is accusing Salamander of causing the accidents uh, uh, causing the, uh, the incident and uh, basically gets discredited, orders Dinesh arrested, and Federin will testify against him at trial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and one thing you can't say of this cliffhanger, and that's where the doctor died.
1: No, well, I have put that in my notes, and that's when the doctor died, and we can only assume that the larva jumped from Hungary to Australia and got him.
0: I've, I've gone through some mental gymnastics on this show to explain things. Um, do you know what? Do you know where that rank? That ranks right smack dab in the middle of them.
1: <laughs> well, under the lava, there's someone shouting, Pyrovile!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, I was always torn on that episode of whether I thought it was good or shit.
1: But this is an interesting thing because later on, they say that um, the Capaldi Doctor chose um, the face of um, the guy in that episode, played by. Um, Peter Capaldi. Um, That's
0: to,
1: Yeah, to, to remind him. And you know, the the second Romana um, takes the face of someone from a previous episode, and there's debate whether Tom Baker took um, uh, the face of someone from a previous episode. So again, in theory, has Trout and uh, would did Hartnell at some point see Salamander and choose to regenerate into that face?
0: You never know. Never how amazing would it be if they actually did explain that with this timeless child stuff? Yeah, <laughs> just to put in where only like you know people like yourself and, and now me because I've watched the episode where so sort for of fans of the older who would who would get it, I'd, I'd be amazed. But even to be honest, even with um, the uh, the episode that we uh, we covered last week, asylum of the Daleks, when we had Matt Willis on, he uh, he mentioned about how. Uh, That stout's getting to me. Uh, Matt Willis mentioned how they mentioned Spyridon in Asylum of the Daleks, Mm -hmm. and it was just a a throwaway thing. But now that I know it, watching it back, I was like, Ah, Spyridon, I know that reference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You get to have the Captain Captain America moment of I understood that reference.
1: (laughs) Well, there is, um. I did make a note on this. Um, There was someone in this episode who'd been in Planet of the Spiders. Oh, it comes up later. Swan was in Planet of the Spiders. All right. um, Which is the episode that um, Pertwee regenerates in. Um, And they go to a planet called Metabilis 3, which um, Pertwee had previously um, visited in The Green Death. Um, In later episodes, in Hyde, the Doctor pulls a blue crystal out of his um, pocket and says it's from Metabilis 3. And in The Green Death, it's a Doctor Light episode where he'd gone off and Joe had gone to um, you know this environmental camp and the Brigadier was trying to be on the side of big business. Um, then the Doctor's gone to get this crystal and then he pulls it mm. out again in Hyde uh, as Matt Smith. So <laughs> the story <laughs> one that goes from Pertwee to Matt Smith. Uh, and in The Wedding of Sarah Jane... I, th- and Sarah I, thought, Fox,
0: I thought Hyde was... Capaldi, is it uh,
1: is it the one I don't know if I've got the right episode name, I think it's Hyde. The one where it's um, um, the, they're at this haunted house and there's like a woman who's on a planet and they have to like bridge the gap. And there's um, I thought that was Hyde, I might be getting confused with a different one. It's definitely, a man. I might be as
0: well because I when you said that, I thought it was the um, I was thinking the woman made of wood, but uh, David Suchet in it.
1: Uh, the woman made of wood. Uh, well, there's the do- the um, the Doctor, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Isn't the where they've got the the wooden?
0: Oh, that, yeah, that a completely different episode. The, the one yeah. I'm thinking of is definitely uh, yeah, Hyde is... Oh, wait, Hyde's the one with the um, it, she's um, she's an astronaut or something. Yeah. Or like one of the early time travelers. Yes, you're right. It is Matt Smith.
1: Yeah, and they, they mention of Metabealist three, and again, and the wedding of Sarah Jane and Sarah Jane Adventures, um, which actually David Tennant's in um sarah jane says where would i send the wedding invitation Metabelis three so there's all these tie-ins <laughs> which again ties into a guy that's in this episode
0: yeah. oh, brilliant stuff i love it so we'll, looking at time we'll have to uh, rattle through some of this quite quickly but <laughs> going into well actually i'm not bothered size one that's editing it still so <laughs> um salamander's basically saying he's going to hold bruce uh, personally responsible for Denesh as uh, as we go into uh, to episode three so there's you know bruce questioning salamander again and uh you know a bit of dissension been in the ranks and all of that and uh, salamander uh, sorry salamander bruce clocks that jamie's now got a security uniform on um and the basically gets taken away and salamander makes federing the european controller uh, Federing's still got his reservations about the dossier and the lies, but the uh, Salamander's basically saying that it's just you know it's just an, just an insurance policy. I won't need it because you know you're going to do what I say, and he gives him a box of poison to uh, to take care of Denish. Um, Bruce wants to question Jamie, but he's a guard now, so Jamie just essentially buggers off even in the face of uh, Bruce's questioning. Um, we have uh, Dinesh waiting for the uh, the security hover car. And this is where Bruce kind of starts to change uh, change tack, really, because he's asking why Dinesh is in a corridor. Why is he being held like a common prisoner? You know, get him some food, get him some comfort. Um, and Dinesh is just kind of sat there going, oh, well, something to eat would be lovely, and perhaps uh, some light reading, a book on foreign travel. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get victoria in the kitchen with my quite possibly my favorite character in the whole serial and my namesake griffin the chef
1: (laughs) just just the concept because i think he's only in uh, episode three isn't he griffin the chef and for no reason they've brought this character in and he's fucking brilliant
0: yeah he's he's just dry he's dry-witted he's pessimistic as all hell And just absolutely hilarious with it. Um, He he goes on about, uh, he's he's sort of mocking Victoria, saying, you know, give me a menu, give me a recipe. And she gives, she doesn't really know what she's on about. And he's just sort of mocking her and puts her to work peeling the spuds. Faria wants, uh, wants her educating. And he just my mum wanted me to be a dustman. <laughs> all that.
1: But wait, he dictates the menu to her and he goes, oh. first course interrupted by bomb explosion, second course affected by earthquakes, third course ruined by interference in the kitchen, I'm yeah. going out for a walk, it'll probably rain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I relate far too much to that because I can be quite like that myself. It's he's just brilliant he's he's some much needed sort of comic relief in all the uh, all the sort of goings on here because then yeah right into uh, for really warning Victoria to get away and just as soon as Jamie comes in she abruptly buggers off um, Jamie's been to see Astrid apparently and um, talking about getting Dinesh uniform to smuggle him out they both agree that Salamander's evil uh, you know, can replace 10x with a weaker, more sort of malleable controller uh, of that zone. And they, they speculate on salamander causing the earthquakes. Uh, we get a we get more footage of eruptions, which, you know, it's a big week for people who are fans of eruptions. But what I do like in this one is that it zooms out and it's uh, the Doctor and Giles watching them on the monitor.
1: Yes. And that and I did message- quite like. It's a it's a classic Doctor Who trope that they even use in modern Who about the people on the monitor. They'll often do a baddie reveal with a, a hand tapping the monitor before you get the uh, reveal of who it actually is. So I, I do like a bit of um, monitor watching in Doctor Who.
0: And unlike in wrestling, they're watching it from a proper angle.
1: What they did in WCW two thousand? We've covered this. They watch TV properly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that was 22 years ago <laughs> anyway we'll, we'll plug it later but for more on our opinions of wcw 2000 go and listen to unbooking the tanker sorry uh I don't
1: know where are we now yes
0: yeah, so it's doctor and charles watching the monitor uh Giles talking about uh, the sort of parallels of salamander causing the earthquakes to the political destabilization of the areas And, uh, you know, we have the doctor pointing out that if that's true, Salamander's found a way of harnessing the natural forces of the Earth, which is difficult to accept but not impossible. So he's sort of coming around the idea, but he still needs proof. Um, Charles is saying about how the money spent in the research station didn't make sense despite the Sun Trap tech and that he saw all the requisition orders that didn't add up, but they were destroyed and new ones appeared and he was made out to be the criminal. Um, Security... Forces arrive and Charles G- hides the doctor in a bench because they're in essentially what is a futuristic caravan.
1: I don't think it's a futuristic caravan, I think it's a 1960s <laughs> cheap caravan, but
0: it's um, a look vaguely futuristic.
1: Yeah, we get Kent because um, well, um, um is taunting him, saying, What you do in uh, bird watching? Uh, and then he gets a guard to smash all his crockery up and says there's not much point staying here now. So if you haven't got um, pots and plates, you have to go home.
0: Well, if, there's, if they can't have a cup of tea, what's the point in being there?
1: Doctor Who is so British, isn't it? I was having this conversation the other day about, you know, what would happen if a uh, Disney or Paramount or whatever took over Doctor Who, and it would lose its quaint Britishness that you have to go home if you can't have a cup of tea big. Yeah. <laughs> It's big. <Doctor Who. laughs>
0: um, unless you have beer in the fridge.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know this is this is children's television. So, yeah,
0: I did like a bit. I did like a good bit of uh, set wobble at this point as well, which was uh, which was, but not also not out of character. You know, it's not out of possibility. If if you know if it is a caravan, then it will wobble about. Yeah. Um, Charles is sort of saying if, you know, does the Doctor believe him now about this whole, you know, sort of dictator re- uh, regime? Which I have to say, I've, I meant to say it earlier, but once again here on the Doctor Who pod, we're involved in some sort of Nazi allegory <laughs> or illusion or, or, you know, something along those lines. So much of classic who goes back to Nazis and we've even had, we don't have a drill necessarily, but we do get a, uh, <laughs> we, do, we do get some sort of shaft eventually.
1: Yeah, we do, and um, I think you actually mentioned the, uh, this line to me uh, uh, the other day. And um, the doctor's upset about the place being sna- smashed, and he says people spend all the time making nice things, and then other people come along and smash them up.
0: Yeah, I, I did like that line. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it to you the other day, but um, it, it certainly, sort of, it certainly spoke out to me. I, I did quite like that because it is very true. Yeah, <laughs> you know, take take ages to create, a second to destroy. Um, but I did like it where the Doctor's still not seen hard physical proof. He said they're unpleasant and destructive, but not necessarily evil. Yeah. Which is maybe the Doctor being a bit generous, but he's, you know, coming round to the idea. Um, Astrid's somehow skulking through the mansion. She's got a fake pass. Um, we, we get a bit of uh, the guard called Janos asking her to go drink wine with him.
1: Um, yeah, I was going to say, we know exactly how she got into the mansion. it was, but... My WCW 2000.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Scott Steiner was on it. Yeah. Um, he walked, she walks straight past Denesh and she, she stopped by a second guard who wants to see the message. And uh, Denesh, not so subtly, pretends to fall asleep and drops his book to distract the guard. And, uh, and Astrid does this and now got free reign of the, uh, uh, of the complex, basically. And one thing I do like. One thing I always said I like about Graham in uh, in Jodie Whittaker's series is that he brings sort of a human touch to it. You know, he's always asking, "Where's the food? You know, where's the toilet?" Uh, you're you in know. The to the full. Yeah, <laughs> and we cut to the we cut to the kitchens, and Jamie's just there tucking into a big plate of food. It's like he saw his opportunity to have something to eat, and he's bloody taking it. So um. I quite like
1: that. I love it when uh, Griffin tries the food and he, he just says, how's the food? Terrible. I'll get the sack tonight for sure. Maybe they'll shoot me. No, they wouldn't do that. The firing squad would miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And that was after, uh, that was sort of after Astrid had said, you know, there's a plan for rescuing Denesh and, and all the rest of it. But that, yeah, Griffin again, I think that's the last we see of him pretty much. But talk about maximising your minutes on screen. What a character. And uh, to be honest, I could have done with the rest of the episode just being about Griffin, just cut back to him occasionally, see what he's doing. Um, We have a whole back and forth with Jamie and Faria asking if she likes working for Salamander and if she doesn't like, essentially she doesn't like it and she wants to wants to take him down and she's very, uh, very defensive of her motives, if not entirely forthcoming with them. And she assumes that they see Salamander as, as a god, and so she repeats over and again that she does what she has to do, and not what she wants to do. Which, again, is built. Sort of, I suppose building the intrigue for uh, for Faria. If uh, I don't know, I, I was kind of torn on this episode, not to give too much away for the end of it, but at times it felt it managed to feel slow yet there was never a lack of things happening. And I don't quite know how to reconcile that in my head.
1: I think one of the things with Classic Who, they were pumping out 44 episodes a year, and that's a hell of a lot. And, you know, with the best will in the world, some of it is incredibly drawn out. Mm. And to a certain extent the audiences might have been a little more accepting of that at this time and I think as well that I guess the key to the episodes is the the hanger in the middle so yeah. you, you, you've got like a 22 minute episode but some of it's what happened last time some of it's uh, the hanger um, you know they um, all, all the bits so there's not too too much that you need to do so um, yeah, there's bits that drag, but to be honest, I mean this episode Griffin makes it, and I was more than happy that this episode still existed rather than having a five episode story. Oh yeah, yeah, it.
0: absolutely. Yeah, worth it for Griffin, I think is uh, is worth But it's it's one of those where without this, you lose a lot of vital context for a lot of characters. Yeah, and we've we've seen it on we've seen it on the Doctor Who pod before. As you say, Rob, you know some of it is a bit more drawn out, but I think as well. Part of the problem that, that I have watching it for the first time is I'm not watching these week you know week by week. I'm watching them two, three, four at a time. Yeah, and they're not they're not made for binging. They're made to be watched left left for a week, and then you watch the next one. So maybe that's the uh, maybe that's obviously more my uh, my problem than uh, than the shows.
1: I don't know. I think they're quite bingeable, actually. I think some of some of the slowness of the storyline probably didn't play out that well week to week. But, no. um, but having that regular hanger or whatever I think always makes you sort of want to roll on to the next one to find out what's happening. Yeah, You know, the, the moments of peril. Um, so actually, I think it probably works almost better in the modern world than it would have done at the time.
0: I can see that with some of them. Something like Inferno uh, kept me so it kept me on that level, um, but you know, but I think it, it could it could be somewhere in between. You know, maybe it depends on the series.
1: Yeah, it definitely depends on on the story or whatever.
0: Yeah, um, but anyway, on we go. Uh, Bruce is basically saying that Denish again should be treated according to rank, um, and this is where I really thought that his you know Bruce's fast- fastidiousness and and adherence to the rules and, and things like that were actually leading to him being a much more uh, sort of palatable character. Uh, Salamander's saying that Dinesh is uh, going to discredit Dinesh uh, because he warned him about the earthquakes and Dinesh did nothing. Uh, Bruce asks about Federer control, and and Salamander says, "Oh, what a good idea!" You know, as if he hadn't already put that in motion. Yeah. Which again speaks to Salamander's deviousness. Um, we we get a little. Oh no, we get a little bit more. Griffin. Uh, he is telling uh, telling Victoria to be nice to Dinesh as he takes him his food. Her smile might make him forget the taste of the soup.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I put in my notes as well.
0: It's brilliant stuff, and we get um, we get Federin inspecting the food and, and stealing the salt and sending Victoria back uh, back for it, and we see him open up the poison. Um. This is where it all starts to fall apart from as we come towards the end of the episode. A guard reports to Salamander that he saw Astrid in the park talking to Jamie and now they're both in uniform in the palace. He didn't receive the message that Astrid said she had. Um, he declines the alert and says, you know, let her escape and follow her and he, he'll deal with Victoria and Jamie. Uh, Victoria brings the food in. Uh, <laughs> it was quite an amusing thing where the guard insists on taking the cutlery from Dinesh but then have, ends up having to cut his steak
1: yes yeah and he says it's a long time since he had his steak cut for him doesn't it and suggests yes. that the, he suggests that he eats his steak with a spoon yeah,
0: well he says it's a long time since he had his steak cut up for him yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah just a, another amusing little thing um, one of the guards wants to speak to Faria and uh, wants to talk with her and Griffin about breaking regulations and Victoria stays with Dinesh and the, uh, the salt stays notably untouched so we think you know it left me thinking oh is he going to use it is he going to use it and then we immediately dash any any sort of pretence on what could have happened by Federin saying he didn't have the bottle to uh, to poison Dinesh um, Salamander seems to laugh off the failure which was uh, out of character but then promptly poisons Federin's drink uh,
1: um, I think that's it. So, yeah. you know, Salamander's got contingency plans, and it is testing people's limits and loyalty, and and whatever, rather than
0: you know, mm.
1: oh, that was a funny jape. you didn't do what I wanted. You know, you're going to pay the ultimate price.
0: But and despite the sort of hammy the hammy acting for the death, uh, what I did like was that Salamander immediately to the guards passes off Federer's death as a suicide. and yeah. he's got he's got all the pr- he's got all the quote unquote proof. To show people that Federin had reason to commit suicide.
1: And when um Federin sort of slumps over, Salamander says, one chance, I gave you one chance, which felt to me really tenant, you know, with um, the Sikarac. Yes, you know, that's the kind of man I am. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, do you know what? I never th- it, it did that didn't swing in my mind, but I do like that, yeah. You you're spot on with it. Um We have some more shenanigans from Jamie. Uh, who, uh, who you know, says he sees someone out in the trees and he runs out and there's gunshots and we get the classic line from Griffin I know the food's bad but you would have to go that far
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's more gunshots he says have it your own way <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, oh god then we get Astrid in she's taking out guards there's, there's gunshots disgu- uh, the gunshots were disguising the real rescue attempt and uh, they run outside straight into Salamander and his guards. Um, you know, they found uh, there's been shots fired from Jamie's gun. Um, Salamander has a, another go at Bruce and they take Victoria and Jamie away. Um, we get another cliffhanger towards the end and Bruce is demanding to know of Salamander what's going on. One minute he's with Jamie and they're working together. And this is, but because he saved my life. No, before that in Kent's office, and the, the sort of the, the penny's finally dropping that there's a doppelganger on the loose.
1: Yeah, it, it was you or someone like you, and that's when the doctor died. seasons it did really well, they were really popular, but yeah, that, that's all we had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, then, Rob, explain to us how the doctor didn't die.
1: Yeah, so we're back at the caravan near the uh, Kanawara kind of Research Centre, and um, Kent's uh, waiting there for contact from Astrid uh, and the doctors, telling him to be patient. You know. um, Astrid calls from the office in Australia um, on a ridiculous portable t- TV thingy. I've put in my notes. Yeah, it's it's at this point as
0: well that I, it, I was trying to block it out, but there was I know it's, they say it's only a couple of hours by rocket and all of that. But this whole serial really did bounce around like the final season of Game of Thrones. First people are here, then they're there, then they're here, then they're there. And it, it just, the, the amount of space that they had to cover and, and the time that they said they had to cover it just didn't feel like it fit with the amount of time that was passing in the show
1: one of the things that got me about that final season of Game of Thrones is when that guy says, oh, I'm just going to make a, a new fleet, and then a week later he's got a 1,000 ships. But he says, you know, tell people to go cut down trees. They've done it from zero with 10 yeah. blokes. You know, just uh, you know, there's no construction time baked into these promises. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it just, it, it, it bugged me um, a little bit. But,
0: you know, there's I'm I'm still at the point on this where there's, there's more to like than to, uh, than to dislike.
1: I was going to say that's your own greyjoy for you. but uh, yeah, it's um, awesome. Yeah, so then we see that Beric's um, listening in um, o- over a her, um, her shoulder, and um, uh, I have my mind also, at least we don't see a hand tapping on the screen in the classic Who style. <laughs> uh, and he sends one of the guards out to trace Astrid, um, uh, and then. Um, is informed that Salamander's returning to Australia. and uh, We're back in Kent's office in Australia. And um, um, Astrid's um, interrupted by Farrier. Uh, Astrid thinks that she's loyal to Salamander, um, but Farrier claims that she hates him and wants him to be dead.
0: Yeah, but again, you know, Farrier's just buggered off. She's his food taster. Yeah. What if, what if he gets peckish? Surely her absence won't go unnoticed.
1: No. No. No, um, so then we're back in Bennick's office. Uh, as you say, lots of bouncing arounds. So, um, the guards reporting to Bennick that Astrid and Farrier have been seen together. And uh, Kent orders that. Um, so Bennick orders that Kent's office is surrounded. Um, back in Kent's office, uh, the doctor and Kent uh, have joined Astrid. Uh, the Doctor's concerned about Jamie and Victoria, but Farrier tells them um, they've been brought back to Australia really by command. and any might yeah, I put in
0: my notes. Have they? Because we never heard about them going back to Australia. But... No, it's just it, it's. Uh, it, you, yeah, they just told us that. You know, this is a thing that's happened. Just accept it. Um, but they say, you know, Jamie Victor will be held till Salamander has time to deal with them. Yeah. Uh, basically, saying that he's brought them there for interrogation and torture. Yeah. Um, the doctor, the doctor, again, is has a healthy doubt over Farrier's son's betrayal. But we find out then that he blackmailed her into being his servant. And she she admits that she hasn't exposed him before because she didn't have the proof. And the doctor again starts saying, no proof, no proof. You know, and then, you know, saying that Salamander's covering up too well. And Farrier tries to argue that Federin is proof. But then Astrid repeats the, repeats the sort of company line, as it were, that Federin was a public embezzler who committed suicide. So she's not very good at this disbelieving Salamander thing, is what yeah. I learned from that sentence. <laughs> Considering that she's currently working with a guy who was discredited falsely by Salamander, she's very quick to believe that Federin wasn't discredited.
1: Yeah, but I, I do like that the doctor's not just jumping in straight away. And yes, the episode might feel long for it, but you know why should he get involved? Yeah. Again, it's not a monster or an alien; it's just a dickhead. <laughs>
0: There's no law against being a dickhead. No. But yes, if you prove that he's a dictator rather than a dickhead, then the doctor will do something.
1: Well, if he's a fixed dickhead in time, he can't do anything about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, God, that's. Uh, there's that's a joke a- to be made there about Jack Harkness's anatomy, isn't
1: there? Yeah. Time travelling Philanderer, Jack Harkness. Yeah. <laughs> You're a poor man's Nicholas Lindhurst. Mm um then, well that, that's how i'm adopting
0: that from now on um but yeah faria if, if is saying that salamander engineered nearly every one of the swindles and she and can prove it she has Federin's file which the doctor reads and you know looks through and but again it's, it's still kind of scant proof you No know, one file doesn't bring the whole thing tumbling down and then we see the uh, we see the soldiers and bennick outside kent's apartment and bennick has this look of glee on his face
1: just on the Doctor reading the file, it did give me very Tom Baker vibes, where he just sort of flicked through the file and it seemingly taken all the information in on a flick through, rather than, uh, and I'm sure there's a Tom Baker bit where he flicks through a book and says uh, it was a good book, it dragged a bit in the middle.
0: Yeah. Kind of- I'm, I'm pretty sure they revived that or, or made reference to it at least once on the Matt Smith as well, but I can't for the life of me remember which episode it was in. But then equally, they showed Matt Smith just reading at a normal pace when uh, when they did the um, the City of Angels. Do you remember that one in New York where they sat in Central Park reading?
1: Oh, but wasn't he reading out loud? So very true.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he kept saying yeah, I was uh, Um which was <laughs> I quite like that episode. Even even though you get the cheesy bit with the Statue of Liberty, but anyway, I
1: like that um, episode. Yeah, I, I like Rory. So I know I know Rory doesn't get much uh, love on this podcast, but
0: Rory has his moments.
1: But he's a like the Rory and
0: Ryan to me, sort of two peas in a pod. I'm, I'm
1: I'm not a Ryan fan. Um, they they had a great opportunity to do like stories with his dys- dyspraxia, and then they just seemed to abandon it and. There was again the problem with sharing the diagram between Graham, Yaz, and Ryan at some points? It felt there's just too many cooks spoiling the problem, yeah. Yeah,
0: anyway, that's a, that's a discussion for another day. Um, the town,
1: <laughs> fuck's sake, it's Jody Wick, the town. <laughs> I
0: know, I know, I know. All right, dickhead. Um, they're basically in sort of a they sort of maneuvering each other into whether one, them, you know, Kent wants the doctor to impersonate Salamander again, and he's pointing out it's the only way to get his friends released. But Kent will only work with him if the doctor kills Salamander. And the doctor won't be an executioner, and Kent's basically using Jimmy and Victoria's lives as uh, as bargaining chips, which again tells you a hell of a lot about, um, about Kent's character. You know, and about the type of person he is, he, he's, he might be trying to take down as dictator, but he's also a bit of a dickhead. And I like how it's sort of slowly emerged over the episodes, that, um, that that's sort of how he is. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't immediately obvious from the start, but now he's, he's just getting worse and worse. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, Where were we? See, ben, okay. Yeah, sorry, carry on going to say, Benwick's guards have surrounded the building um, of Kent's office. We're back in Kent's office. Uh, again, the doctor's claiming he's not enough proof that Salamander's evil. Um, but obviously, Jamie and uh, Victoria are the, um, uh, the prisoners. So um, the doctor's going to have to impersonate Salamander. It's his only hope. And the doctor um, says, what you really want me to do is kill him. And Kent said, what else do you do with evil men? And um, the doctor says, private justice, eh? Mm, oh no! I'll expose him. I'll ruin him. I'll have him arrested. But he won't. I won't be his executioner.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, that was a great. That was a great speech.
1: Yeah, it, it was really good. That and then a great example of um, the morality of the Doctor that kind of, I felt was often missing from the Hartnell Doctor. You know, the, mm. they go back to um, the Stone Age, and there's uh, one of the people is slowing them down, and the Doctor picks up a, ro- a rock to bash the head in. Wow, you know, um, you know, just to um, get his own way, and the Roman episode is far more um, interested in uh, basically um, going out and fine dining than, uh, um, saving Ian who's been taken as a slave, and uh, the Aztec episode, Barbara's going to be executed, but uh, Hartnell's off trying to get married to an Aztec. So you know, it's like um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: time traveling for Landra and William Hartnell's doctor.
1: Yeah, you know it. There's so much stuff, and, and I think we're really getting into the actual spirit of the Doctor in in the in Troughton. Uh, yeah, do.
0: He, bring, he brings a bit more heart and soul and, and morality, as you say, uh, which I do like. Um, yeah. But at this point, we get Bennick essentially ordering his men to, uh, to shoot on site and kill on site. But um,
1: did you see when out the window? There were some guards, and then there was the random extra with a pram. And it's like on one of those games where yeah. you like you're trying to shoot people, and then there's a civilian walking past. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was funny. Uh, what was even funnier was that the uh, all the all the occupants of the um, of the flat, apart from Astrid, uh, decided to go down the ventilator shaft. Yeah, uh, essentially, and. Uh, I thought it was some sort of set fuck up, but it was actually a blood repelling in through the window, which was quite good. And, uh, and Astrid uses a uh, uh, fighting technique to her to take him out. Uh, there's the shots fired, the door smashed in, and everybody's like, "She's gone," you know. They've all gone down the ventilator shaft. Where does this come out? Where does that come out? She was just hid behind a desk.
1: I often think when I watch Doctor Who, what would a different Doctor have done in this scenario? And I imagine Pertwee would have, like, got out some of his Pertwee kung fu and been, like, flipping the guards over.
0: Venusian karate.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) stopping the bullets like Neo in The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, But but at this point, Benic finds Federin's file. Um, Oh, no, he he doesn't. Sorry, this is just a bit later on. Actually, now we get one of the... One of the most sort of impactful moments in the, uh, in the serial for me. Uh, Farry is on the run and uh, she runs into a guard and gets shot. Um, just
1: before that, um, they, oh, sorry, at this point, when, when she gets shot, the guard said, uh, We had orders um, and to shoot him. And the captain says, Do you always obey orders? And I really liked that because obviously Salamander's trying to take over the world and become a dictator and you don't walk into a dictatorship overnight. It's death no. by a thousand cuts, and it's that sort of shift of morality, and there's still some people that are questioning everything that's going on, and, you know, that this isn't right, and some people are sort of bought into the new way of thinking.
0: Yeah, Benick, in fact, that's actually perfectly um, shown between Benick and Bruce. Benick has bought into it completely. Bruce, obeys the rules he will do what he's asked to do but within a certain framework so yeah i think uh yeah spot on with that but so far he's been shot and bennick tries to interrogate her if she's dying and you know ask what she what the planning and she says you know he'll know soon enough and her threats won't work and she, she says i can only die once and someone is beating you to it which i thought was fantastic like what a badass line! And then a dying act is to slap him.
1: Yeah, Far- Farrier was a really good character. I w- uh, I would have liked Mar Farrier. I would have liked Mar Farrier. Um, it's yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed her um, in this episode of Far was really good.
0: Yeah, I really liked her. Um, sorry, opening the camp. Best noise in the world. Uh, Bennick is then. It almost immediately back with uh with Salamander saying he's failed and and Bruce is, is annoyed at, at farrier's death but Bennick uh, puts it down to resisting arrest which again shows you know sort of shows that he's one of the ones who's bought in, you know fully bought into this this dictatorship um and Bruce is saying he can't take the law into his own hands um and you know Kent hasn't broken any rules that Bruce knows of but Benick's saying it's only a matter of time and he's probably building a resistance group. So Benick's more than happy to jump the gun and jump, you know, jump beyond the rule of law because he's convinced that, that Kent's up to something. Yeah. It's yeah, another another great little um, sort of contrast between the two characters. Really, yeah. really, really like that. Um and uh, you know, Bruce orders Benick to review security arrangements, then Bennick drops the bombshell. That he's got Federin's file and he gives it back to Salamander. Yeah, and Actually, Salam- he invo- gives right. him to Salamander. Yeah. Oh, he's very happy about it. <laughs> um, at that point, Salamander orders the record room out of bounds, saying, "No, while he's in there, I don't want to be uh, disturbed. Nobody, you no, know, you know that he won't be coming out." Activates the security lock and get an extended sequence of, uh, of you know doors coming down and this machine coming out of a hidden hidden room. As there is a constant buzzing in the background, it was meh, meh. meh. <laughs> It bugged the shit out of me while this was going on. Because it felt like it went on for about four minutes, even though I'm sure it was about 30
1: seconds. Oh, well, then do all the, the wibbly wobbly sci fi whininess, which has been, you know, it's been political intrigue up to this point. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've sat through uh we've sat through uh phantom menace and attack of the clones now we're trying to get to the revenge of the sith bits um but you know the, the, there's a pod there uh salamander gets into it and uh, it recedes back into the wall it tilts so that he's upright and it seals off and it, we get some a lot of multiple angle shots of this pod dropping down a secret shaft at seemingly great speeds and it was a nice use of the multiple angles to give the illusion that this was going deep into the earth. The landing looked really funny to me. It, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was it was a sped up shot of Patrick Trouton bending his knees and coming back upright yeah. to simulate like the impact and coming to a halt. Which for the time, great idea, clever trick to use, but just made me laugh a little bit.
1: Well i must admit when when they go underground i'm thinking how aren't they going to bump into some you know silurians or you know crack into the middle of the blessing or uh, any of the the random stuff that's underground in the doctor who universe
0: see i was i was just assuming that they were going uh, down into his lab and in essence i was kind of correct but we'll get onto that in a minute because uh, bruce is perplexed that no one could see salamander they attempt this, uh, to communicate with him, but he's turned off the master switch. Benick's, um saying it's normal for Salamander, and you know, it's, again, it's sort of testing the waters between Bruce and Bennick and and adding a bit of intrigue into what Salamander's actually doing. Sorry, another bird. Then we see Salamander sort of skulking around, but he's changed his clothes. By the looks of things, he's now wearing some sort of jumpsuit. And he turns on a monitor to show people in what I assume would have been like sort of tie dye gear. Like a lot of them look like they're wearing dressing gowns and all sorts. So they're obviously performing, you know, science-y looking tasks. And he gets on the on the uh, the tannoy and advises radiation precautions. And the people are so happy he's back and they hope he's found more food. And at this point, in my notes, I put word for it. Wait, is he running a fucking cult? Yes. <laughs> because this was this was a, a, this was a twist I did not expect this story to take
1: no no,
0: at all um, like you said up until now it's been political intrigue and now we've got the, not only is Salamander a Salamander a dictator with designs on taking over the world he's also a cult he's also a subterranean cult leader
1: yes and one of his cult members is called Colin and Colin is a twat I cannot stand Colin
0: <laughs> he's such a whingy little bitch isn't he
1: the, the thing is, so, so they've got this whole community underground that Salamander's um, basically uh, making do all his scientific stuff for him, I'm sure we'll come on to that in, in a moment. Um, and they've been under, underground for years under the pretense that there's been uh, a massive nuclear war uh, on the planet and they're having to stay there to, to avoid the radiation um, and they're having to um, you know, do, do everything Salamander tells them. Uh, and Colin is obsessed with getting to the surface And he's got this Mary character who's absolutely besotted with him, who who just wants, you know, them to be safe and spend time with Colin. And Colin doesn't care about that because, in my notes, Colin is too much of a twat to care about that.
0: (laughs) So what I'm getting is you're not too fond of Colin.
1: No, no.
0: If only Sy was here, I'd love to know what Si thought of Colin.
1: I'll tell you what Cy si thought
0: of Colin. I thought he were a twat. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what Cy's first thought on Colin would have been. it was, wait, it was Colin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He's a whingy little bitch, and he annoys the shit out of me. Um, and at this point, you know, he's saying he wants to see the sun again. And I'm, at this point, I'm questioning, literally, in Captain, how long have they been down there? Um, we get a uh, swan in to see Salamander, but he's saying he's not decontaminated yet. At which point I put, he's running a fucking cult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as Swan's saying Salamander does too much, but Salamander's, you know, giving it the whole heart. But who, else will feed you? You know, he's, he's playing the martyr essentially, isn't he? You know, I do this for you. I do this for you. Blah blah blah. Um, right. It's
1: also important to point out Salamander has a magic radiation removing machine.
0: He does. Yes, it's a uh, it's a fancy machine with lots of bright lights and a gaga counter that goes down very very quickly.
1: Which reminded me of you know uh, if you go on Valhalla at Blackpool Pleasure Beach, you know the big Viking log flume thing, yeah. and then afterwards you can go into like this cubicle with hair dryers which uh, are like, all round it and big lights yeah. and stuff to dry you off. That's essentially what Salamander stood in
0: funnily enough I went to first time I went to uh, Blackpool I went with, uh, with Mackenzie um, who you know obviously and a couple of people listening might and I knew nothing of the place beach never been before and, and Valhalla is one of the first rides as you walk in and she's like oh, let's go on Valhalla it's just a little log flume thing you know it's not too bad and it, it might have been June or might have been June but it was still a pretty chilly day you know big sea breeze up. it wasn't as as hot as one might expect got absolutely fucking soaked freezing cold thank you very much still a little bit pissed off about it to this day if you if you can't tell so sure. fuck that fuck that Valhalla ride I've not been on it since I did go in the pod after didn't work <laughs> they weren't working
1: uh, yeah but you you weren't radiated and that's the uh, that's the benefit
0: well yeah I suppose so um, Salamander's basically saying the uh, the radiation's slowly killing him and and all the rest of it and then he says it's a joke but he has good news he's found another undamaged food store and he orders the last case of wine opened up in celebration and there's a lot of excited clamouring and it's you know it's nearing the fifth the fifth anniversary of the survival in this shelter um you know and he talks up about survival and fighting back when the time's right and then you know collins Pressing the issue, saying when can we go to the surface? When can we go to the surface? And Salamander spinning these tales of the terrible nuclear war and never knowing if the air is clear or poison. And Salamander saying, "You know, just a while longer. You know, keep creating the natural disasters where the you know where the enemies of truth and freedom prosper." And that's obviously where we find out that these people who is conned into staying in this this bunker are actually causing the natural disasters that are gaining him power but they're doing it on the pretense that that's helping somehow helping the world and stopping the war up top
1: yeah uh, there is a bit collins uh, wanting to go back to the surface mary says she'd rather die with him on the surface than live underground without him and in my notes mary can do better she really can
0: she really, really can.
1: She's got Colin, a to choose from. It's mostly, you know, scientists in the fifties, but she can do better. Because Collins, a twat
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Collins, you know, Collins pressing the issue and all the rest of it, and it's it's not great. You know, Salamander just wants to check the power levels, and then he goes back into his little, you know, his little room where the 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 pod is. And Swans, you know, everybody's doing all these jobs and giving all these reports. And Salamander's just there with his feet up smoking a cigar.
1: Oh, that would brilliant, that. that I, again, Patrick Troughton wrote this line into the script, I am convinced.
0: Because he wanted a cigar.
1: Yeah, there's loads of bit in this where, um, where, where trouton has gone, do you know what I think would work here?
0: Yeah. What do you reckon would work here? Oh, sorry, you mean Troughton's thought that, sorry. Yeah. Um, we then cut to complete, it; just pulls a complete one hundred and eighty, and we've got Astrid doing the Doctor's hair and eyebrows to match Salamander, uh, which was just vaguely amusing. The Doctor's afraid for Farrier; she's a vital part, to, you know, part of the plan. Astrid hears something in the caravan, and that's the cliffhanger. And I've just put in my notes: I bet it's Bruce.
1: Well, I, I put in my notes because the, the the door opens and we just see a pair of legs. And that reminded me of that episode of Unbooking the Tankatory, where they had the Battle Royal and they had the limousine waiting, uh, like had three limousines waiting outside with all the surprises, you yeah. know, Bret Hart and stuff. And then we saw a set of legs walking to the ring and it was the return of the macho man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that was brilliant.
1: Yeah. That but, was brilliant. But this is the moment the Doctor dies. So we've had a good run, five and a half seasons, but yeah, that, that was it, Doctor Who, classic sixties classic television.
0: Except he didn't die.
1: Yeah, right, so. so
0: we're heading into the into the final part of the uh, the serial, but uh, I think you've cracked a couple of
1: beers, on you Rob? Final part, I thought we were going on to episode five now, weren't we? I thought, there's, uh, I thought this there's was episode one. six. No, just an episode four. So <laughs> two oh, more. God,
0: parts. It's even longer. God, it's even longer than I thought it was
1: you're just look at it the thing is that I, because i wanted to do a non-alien one and I, I very nearly thought about doing black orchid which is uh, a, a lovely romp where um peter davidson gets to play cricket which is what the fifth doctor is all about and it, it's only two episodes uh, but six parter um if cricket <laughs> It's been a wicket in the cricket. Um, so I am drinking at the moment, Strip from uh, Oedipus Brewery. It's a 4.5% wit beer, and um, yeah, it's uh, a Dutch beer, and very nice It it is too. Um, Sounds a tasty motherfucker. Yeah, uh, and then I'm on to a more beer company, PMA, which perhaps doesn't sound as... Uh, it's tasty, but that's uh, 5.3% pale ale. and uh, I, can't, I can't
0: believe, the, probably the cleverest joke I'll ever say on a podcast. I'll just a yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, there used to be a bus company in Stoke called PMA. Uh, I, I know someone uh, <laughs> who lives in Stoke who, who said that every time he heard the expression PMA.
0: I was talking about the Oedipus thing. And it'd been a tasty motherfucker
1: oh yes sorry yeah you're, you're quite right yeah um yeah uh, why, I, I, why, why do this, i bother this is my greek mythology here aren't I? I'm, t- I'm too busy uh. this, this is why this is why i stick to dick jokes most of the time yeah. <laughs> so
0: i try and move out of that wheelhouse nobody gives a shit
1: I, I do i do appreciate that i just i just did not expect that of you
0: this is the problem when you present yourself as a bumbling, drunken idiot. People think you're not intelligent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> at that time, me, Beth, um, young Sam Rogers were, were sat in the uh, top bar at Trembling Madness, and we were surrounded by, you know, really posh student types, and um, Sam was saying, you know, I feel, feel a bit out of place here. I said, don't you worry, Sam, do you, don't you do you worry. The poshest man we know is on his way, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and we we're waiting for
0: I walked in, grabbed a beer and farted. Um, <laughs> that, that last bit may or may not have happened, I can't quite remember. Let's see, I'm going into part five, bloody hell. Um, it is Bruce and, you know, it's obviously clocked that it's uh, the Doctors are look-alike and they have a big, uh, they just have a big sort of set to about what they're going to do. Is, you know, Bennett's set a tracker on them, Bruce is marvelling at the likeness and asking what's the point of the impersonator and if he's been paid to assassinate, them, much to the uh, the doctor's uh, chagrin and dismay and all that, and the doctor's explaining that he just wants to rescue his friends. And, you know, Astrid says they want to gather evidence of treachery and blackmail, and Bruce is very dismissive of Giles Kent because of his history. Giles Kent has to explain again that Salamander discredited him. But once again, there's no evidence, and it could be. I, I love that it keeps coming back with both the Doctor and now Bruce, that there's no evidence, no tangible evidence, and that they sort of establish that the ele- evidence, the elephant, I didn't even the elephants, uh, the elephants are in Salamander's record room.
1: And the, the thing I love about this is, at the right of the start, Benick said he'd put a tracking device on the caravan. <laughs> my notes, why the fuck it hasn't moved?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, still there. <laughs> He stuck a
0: he stuck a tracker on a static pontoon caravan.
1: It's that thing, you know, like that thing they do with doors, where there's like two bits of sellotape and the hair between them to see if someone's been through the door. That's something they've done with the caravan. <laughs> has the tracking <laughs> device No, It has not moved.
0: Oh, brilliant! Brilliant. Um, less brilliant is that uh, that Bruce uh, Bruce reveals that uh, that Far- uh, is uh, dead and that Salman has the file now. Um. Bruce thinks that still thinks it might be an assassination attempt, and he'll, he'll investigate in his own way. At which point, Astrid does things in her way, and nicks the guards, come to leave that on a bit of a, a bit of a cliffhanger, but only briefly because uh, we stick to, uh, we skip to uh, to Bennick, who wants to the minute that Salaman is out of the records room, and uh, we see uh, Jamie and uh, Victoria both sedated, and we get this sort of thing with Bennick again just how cruel he is, and it's all conveyed through his face and the way he speaks, just the, the tone of his voice. And he's hoping that they'll be stubborn in the questioning so that he can inflict the torture. Although he doesn't, he doesn't expressly say that, but he alludes to it, and it's so
1: sinister. Well, he does. He says it's so much more interesting when prisoners are stubborn.
0: But that doesn't mean he's going to... He's not outright said he's going to torture them. Yeah. But the uh, it doesn't need to. It's brilliant, and and just like that, we're back to uh, Bruce, Doctor, Astrid, all the rest of them. And Bruce, I quite like this from Bruce. He's, he's incredibly calm. You know, he said kidnapping him won't get them anywhere, and Astrid's saying, "Well, he, you know, he won't stop them." And Bruce sort of says, <laughs> "He says they're surrounded. Do you really think I only came with one guard?" He said, "You know, you go out of that door. I'll give you thirty seconds." And this is where Giles Kent proves himself to be a bit thick because he says, um, well, that'll be 30 seconds more than you'll have. Yeah. Great. Then everybody's dead. Magnificent. (laughs) And the Doctor, again, proves himself the smartest person in the room, takes Astrid's gun, you know, refuses, outright refuses violence, takes Astrid's gun and gives it to Bruce. Brave move, calculated move, because it gets Bruce asking questions. Yeah why have you done why have you done that? What, why would you give me this advantage? And the doctor, I don't know if it's stroking his ego or just stating the facts you're honest and reasonable. I trust you and I, now, I trust you and now I want you to trust me. And the, Bruce looks at him and says you must be a complete fool, a complete fool or very clever.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I think that's the beauty of trout and that he presents as a complete fool, but he is very clever, yeah.
0: Yeah, it really is. It, I mentioned it before. It's you know he goes from you know he's one minute he's the nutcase running around in his undergarments, jumping straight in the sea. Yeah, and now he's you know now he's here winning over the head of the security council or whatever he is. Um, and essentially that gets Bruce on board. Uh, Bruce agrees to take the Doctor in, and uh, just you know they'll find the hostages, etc. And Bruce says the Doctor's impression better for Benick or they're in dead trouble and just like that we're back underground and I'm going to let you talk from a minute this we're going to be here so what's going on underground with uh, with salamander and swan
1: oh it's like the generation game we've got the conveyor belt there there all the food coming off it um. and <laughs> Milk and a sign on it saying glass. I mean, they've been underground for five years. They think they've been away for five years and they want pint glasses, you know, milk in pint glasses. They don't think that will have gone (laughs) off. You know, with a silver top or whatever, yeah. Um, And there's a bit where um, Swan takes... A box that says meat off the counter, and he's like rattling it, and it's like it looks like there's naff all in there, and he's got oh, it's a really good haul because so I think they've got like some beef jerky in that massive box that says meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's,
0: uh, it's it's one steak and the rest is polystyrene uh, packing peanuts.
1: Yeah, uh, Colin says he wants to go to the surface. In my notes, I put twat. Um, <laughs> Colin tells Mary that Colin is the best man he's got. In my notes, fucking hell, the others must be shit. I think
0: what he means is youngest and fittest.
1: Yeah, that's possibly what he means. Um, He's most physically able. Yeah, but he's saying Colin needs to accept he can't go to the surface. Uh, Colin rants to Mary that he wants to go to the surface because he's a twat. Um, (laughs) And then um, Swan inspects the boxes of uh, food uh, and finds uh, some newspaper in there and one has last year's date on with the headline holiday liner sinks thing is, uh, for, med- all, for, for all
0: salamander's contingencies and for how clever he is and all these machiavellian schemes and an intricate plots, he forg- he didn't notice a bit of newspaper
1: it's like the episode of Columbo with William Shatner in, where William Shatner's the murderer, but he's made the classic mistake of typing out his whole diabol- diabolical plot in plain manuscript form.
0: <laughs> uh, um, I've never watched Columbo. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to ask Claire about that one. She'll be able to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. But yeah, so it's, it's this sort of triggers off Swan's suspicions I really like the way Swan sees the scrap of paper conceals it and moves through the crowd moves through moves through the room because you can tell something's not right with him and he's ignoring people yeah and like just pushing people out of the way um, that he didn't need to do that didn't the actor but I'm really glad he did yeah no. so it really sold the whole situation and we get more of you know we get Swan asking questions about the natural disasters and we've got salamander having to think on his feet. You know, basically saying...
1: The main event of um, Survivor Series 1991, is that what he was asking? You what? Was he asking why the natural disasters were in the main event of Survivor Series 1991?
0: Oh, you... <laughs> that was such an awful pay-per-view. <laughs> so bad. It wasn't this a pay-per-view. Tuesday in Texas. It was Tuesday in
1: Texas. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was just bad. we've got salamander thinking on his feet saying that you know there's there's bits of civilization up there but everybody's you know either mutated or or just you know feral and vicious and things like that. you know there's people who those lucky enough to escape annihilation have have their bodies eaten away by radiation, poisoning you know uh, so poisoned and deformed in mind and body evil and corrupt society he should have told Swan but you know he, he didn't want to you know he kept it secret and Swan's asking about well, the natural disasters they've been killing off the mutants <laughs> and taking down the, uh, the the evil corrupt societies which Swan quite rightly says it's still murder uh, to which Saramanda responds it's an act of mercy yeah
1: the, these, but these people live in such a bad society that they can only go on one cruise a year <laughs>
0: Absolutely evil, vicious society. But they still bottle the milk and go on holiday.
1: Yeah, for two weeks a year they can go on the Jerry cruise
0: Oof, that that would poison your mind.
1: Yeah. And um, so it basically it
0: all leads up to Swan wanting wanting to go with Salamander to the surface and actually see it for himself because he sufficiently doubts him. Or um, Salamander asks that he doesn't tell the others, and he'll take him up and all the rest of it we get swan announced over the tannoy for the first time in a year so he's going with Salamander and uh, and and Colin's pissed off because it's not him and he has a little tantrum because he's a twat
1: exactly then exactly I'm glad to come out of my, my way of thinking on this
0: one <laughs> Mary tries to talk him down as the, the tantrum sort of turns into something that looks a bit like a panic attack uh, but I've got minimal sympathy with him because he's a twat
1: colin is the terry taylor of the subterranean um exploded volcano world called yeah
0: um yeah as much as griffin was only on screen for a little bit and we we ended up really liking him colin's effectively the antithesis of that
1: the anti-griffin
0: well that's somebody who's a you know that's a that's a veget that's a vegetarian tito who uh, who actually exercises.
1: Well, one out of three isn't bad for for me being the anti-griffin. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even clock that. Oh, good work, good work. Um, Victoria wakes Jamie up in a cell. Um, we've got Bennigan and. <laughs> I don't know why it's taken me this long in my notes, but as he sort of stood there at the cell door, all I've got in my notes is creepy cunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and is effectively starting the interrogation. You know, he's he ordered, what I did like though is Benagard orders Jamie to stand when he speaks to him, and Jamie just looks. At him, you'll get nowhere by, You'll get nowhere by shouting.
1: Uh, there's a, a great bit in this. Bennick says, "I like spirit, I like resistance." And Jamie said, "You must have been a very nasty little boy." And Bennick said, "Oh, I was, but I uh, had a very enjoyable childhood." Yeah,
0: now that that well, that follows on from my previous comment from my nose. Yeah, but yeah, really, sure, really selling the sadisticness of, of Bennick, and Jamie sort of really brilliantly defying because you know he takes out one of the guards. But, but Bennick has a gun to Victoria, who, you know, he got hold of her suspiciously quickly considering she was across the room.
1: Um, so oh, got, if, this, if this had been the first doctor and we got some Ian Chesterton kung fu, well, I think this situation would have been dealt with.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Jimmy threatens Bennick. you know, if he touches Victoria, bloody blah, um, they threaten shooting her. And, and Jamie folds really quickly because Benick pulls Victoria's hair.
1: What, what I love about it, uh, the, right at the start, Benick um, pushes Victoria uh, away to Jamie, so they're stood next to each other. Mm. And then, you know, when he's got the gun out, he makes Victoria come back to him. It, it's almost as if, uh, you know, I, I've let her have this distance away from me. Now I'm forcing her to come back. And then he's like, you know, saying, she's got pretty hair and then yanks the hair back, which is what mm. sort of break, breaks Jamie, that Jamie realises that she's like a puppet on a string to him. You know, he can make her uh, go to the other side of the room, he can make her come back straight away, he can do whatever he wants to her. Um, yeah.
0: For, for all, we've had some sort of great companions in, in, that we've looked at in this show, There's specifically female companions who are you know, very... Very intelligent and very capable. At least in this serial, Victoria's role is very much the damsel in distress.
1: I mean, that was Victoria's role throughout the whole time. You know, there, there are some companions like like Dodo or Liz Smith uh, in sort of the Trout and Pertwee era that are extremely capable and intelligent and uh, wouldn't get themselves in this situation. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are some that are just the you know, flailing about and screaming for the doctor.
0: Yeah, which you know, it it was nineteen sixty seven. It was going to happen. Um, but yeah, she's a lot of a lot for a lot of this. It just felt like Victoria was, you know, bar asking one or two good questions in in the beginning. She was just sort of she was there as fodder almost. Really,
1: I enjoyed the scenes with Griffin.
0: Yes, all right, yeah. And, and the scenes with Griffin. Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I just thought for, for all his bluster, Jamie did fold quite quickly. Um, but then we see Salamander, or is it Salamander, coming with Bruce to interrupt. Uh, Benick thought he was in the records room, and uh, the Doctor Salamander goes to take over the interrogation, they order Benick out. And we get <laughs> we get a great bit where Jamie's he has got his sort of bravado back and said, you know, they'll, say they won't tell him everything. saying, that's fine, we already know everything, and he reels off the whole plot. And Jamie and Victoria try and cover for the Doctor. And, you know, said so starts talking nonsense about proof, and Jamie and Victoria reel off the suspicions and the deaths, and the Doctor reveals Faria's death. And Victoria goes to hit him, and the Doctor says, no, Victoria, don't hit me, <laughs> in his actual voice. <laughs> it was such a good moment.
1: I love, I love the snap that Troughton does between Evil Bastard and, and Lovable Rogue.
0: It's, it is a wonderful switch. It really is. It's, it's a great moment. And, but there's still some doubt in them, isn't there? Until he plays the air recorder and whistles the tune. Yeah. And says that Jamie told him to leave it in the TARDIS. Um, Bruce is sort of begrudgingly impressed at the impression. And uh, But there's still you know there's no proof but enough doubt to keep asking questions if, 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 effectively yeah. essentially um bennick's gone to his you know the guard at the records room and finds out that nobody came out so again they're talking you know the tweaking the idea of a doppelganger um we get shots of salamander leading swan uh up to the surface um you know, he wants to leave them in the tunnels and it's safer due to the lack of radiation, but Swan's not having it. And we're, sort of just, we're, just, we're just sort of cutting around everybody now as, every, as the sort of very slowly draw together. Um,
1: it was very Kevin Dunney, this episode, wasn't it? You know, with the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it go, but it goes back to
0: this thing where it's like, through these middle episodes, a lot went on, but... It, a lot of the time, it felt like nothing significant was happening. I don't know. It just it was it was an odd one for me.
1: I, no, I, I completely get it, um, and to a certain extent, I think it's part of its charm mm. in a way uh, that the the so long with the doctor, um, you know, demanding proof. There's so long with all these, you know, trying trying to put all these steps in place. There's so long before we actually. Th- Physically get to a a doctor salamander face off, which you, you feel would have happened in twenty minutes in New Who. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I did like that they they had this one on a slow burn, um, and yeah, you know, I guess to a certain extent I've watched a lot of um, episodes around this period. Well, I've watched all the episodes around this period, but they are they are often slow burners. But I think I think you kind of get rewarded for it in a way. But it's it, it's not the gratification that you'll get from a, you know, a 45-minute. um has got a of new who now. It's a, it's a doc tease. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different type of television. You know, they, they were built yeah. in a different way uh, and it had different objectives.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, we're we'll coming to the end of, uh, of part five now. Um, you know, we're going to... Uh, Giles Kept winding himself up, Astrid pointing out the progress. Charles is wary of Salamander and they're talking about, um, you know... Astrid alludes to distracting the guards and she makes it seem like she's going to flirt with them or, you know, whatever. Um, then it's... Again, we're back to Salamander. They're in a low radiation zone, but Salamander's grabbed a pipe and Swan's gone on ahead of him. Astrid then breaks the window...
1: What's more dangerous than salamander with a pipe?
0: Salamander with a uh, with a natural disaster causing cult.
1: Yeah, Patrick, <laughs> trout with the opportunity to do an accent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 oh god! Um, but Astrid breaks the window and mocks up as though Giles has been shot because she's put some ketchup on his head, and she runs off, leading the guard away and hides from him in the trees. And she hears faint cries for help. Uh, she moves towards it, and she finds uh, there's extended shots of her moving through the uh, the plant section of B and Q. And she finds uh, she finds Swan, uh, an injured Swan, who uh, she says, "Who did this to you?" And he says, "Salamander."
1: And that's when the Doctor died. We've had a good run, five seasons, did really well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Except he's not dead because we go to Part Six. Finally, and uh, just to uh, celebrate that fact, cracking into the Keys baby Fudge, uh, Baby caramel fudge stout, 5.3% pastry stout, but it's Keys brunch, so it's going to be fucking good.
1: I thought to simultaneous can crack there on the uh, the more PMA, just to uh, save you on the audio.
0: Not my problem, size editing. Um, so, yeah, we've got uh, Astrid attending to Swan, and he directs her down into the cave we're very Kevin Dunney again because we're back to Bruce who disbelieves Salamander's causing the natural disasters. Uh, The doctor's happy to wait till he's out of the records room. We find that that creepy twat, Benick's been stood there listening the whole time. As if, you know, because nobody saw him enter the room somehow, despite the fact Bruce was facing that way most of the time. But anyway, uh, Swan and Astrid are in the tunnels. He's asking for water, saying Salamander's dangerous. Astrid goes to get water, but for some reason she starts licking stuff off the walls.
1: i I put in my notes because being hit on the head may, makes you need a drink. That the, that's the first thing. that that you yeah. need, yeah, yeah, she, she's a, a cave wall licker is what we can say about Astrid at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Benick is, we're back in the cell with Benick, he wants food, truck passes, signing... Um, the door to the records room is jammed and he asks for Salamander's key but the doctor obviously doesn't have it, have it.
1: Just, so. just, just on that thing about Benick because um, I, I rewatched this I made my notes ages ago because um, I didn't know <laughs> when I'd be coming on uh, and then I re-watched it today and it, it just sort of dropped with me that I didn't know if Benick was testing him with trying to get him to sign the papers because he, he had that shadow of doubt as to whether he was the real Salamander um, but Benick dropped in that, you know, you said that signing these papers was the, of the utmost importance, and the papers that he was signing were the food requisite uh, orders mm-hmm. and obviously by Salamanders channeling food from the base down to the people below. So I thought it was a, a really interesting thing. W- was it Benick trying to catch him out, or was it le- a legitimate priority that Benick was trying to adhere to um, for some reason and Salamander, you know, i'd always put that as a priority because of sneaking away the food or was it both both possibly both
0: yeah interesting point I, it's again not something i thought of um i just realized for all the references you made to like wider media i've missed the opportunity to do size whole thing of nines nah, in that <laughs> <laughs> oh i this is what i don't this is the problem where i don't have adequate preparation time to take the piss <laughs> so but Bennett says he'll use an emergency key and, and wanders off uh, the doctor's quite happy with uh, with what uh Benick brought him though because he asks Bruce how many personnel are supposed to be stationed on the base and supposed to be a dozen staff including guards so why are they catering for 30. I'm not entirely sure because there's not that many people down below that we've seen <laughs>
1: There's quite a few, though. There were a few were extras bobbing around, and uh, I'd like mm. to think there were more than just that control room. Yeah, uh, true. And, and one of the things about Classic Who, they did seem to have an idea that there was more space. So, like, when you see the modern TARDIS, you just sort of see the control room. Uh, you know, the, there is, like, one episode where they're going, to, you know, like, deep in the heart of the TARDIS sort of thing. There, but, there's a couple in the Matt Smith era. Well, the, yeah, but, you know, I mean uh romana and tegan and Turlow all had their own rooms and you know we probably got to see the cloister bell and you know the the um uh paul McGann tardis was made to feel massive uh there's a i, I love that control the, the, there's a peter davison bit where he's talking about ejecting uh, the swimming pool in fact there's scenes in the swimming pool in the tardis in the peter davison era um you know that tom baker's uh, and Romana's walking through the tardis and they find an alternate control room and stuff because it's just so big so right. i don't know that the world felt a bit bigger in classic who somehow
0: I, I still maintain that they went back to that in matt smith at least in part because one you know his very first episode he comes out soaking wet through and uh you know so, he says oh, i've just come from the library and uh, Amy immediately says oh I thought you were in the swimming pool yeah the swimming pool was in the library
1: yeah but it, but it's tell don't show rather than show don't tell until you get to the um, the episode
0: with um, uh, the house and the bubble universe where Amy and Rory are running through the corridors
1: but it was like <laughs> an every week thing in classic who as opposed to you know once in ten years yeah.
0: and then we saw the, the journey to the heart of the TARDIS Episode, yeah that that, but yeah yeah that, that's what we're doing. So yeah. it's there a little bit but I, I agree i would like him to get back to that um anyway back to the episode because uh, <laughs> this is this is gonna run long because shock horror me and rob can can talk forever um astrid for some reason after being told to go get water comes back with a wet rag um swan asks about the war astrid doesn't know what he's on about blah blah blah, blah. As uh, saying, you know, he's been kept prisoner and with his dying breath, makes a promise to bring them to the surface. Um, back to the cell, Dr. Salamander asks for the security escort for the release of the prisoners. Bruce tells them to get to a phone, dial 001, ask for Forrester with the code word redhead.
1: Uh, and I I've put, I've put in my notes at this point because there's a recurring theme through Doctor Who. You know, um, when Tennant regenerates, is like, I'm a ginger. I always want to be a ginger. Um mm. When Smith regenerates, I'm still not a ginger. And Jodie Whittaker, when she regenerates and realises she's a woman, she says, finally, but still not a ginger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine when they finally get a ginger doctor? <laughs> That'd be brilliant. I just realised I said a ginger doctor. I hate when people do that. A ginger doctor. Come on, Daniel, sort yourself out, you tosser. Um, so, um, going back to the whole proof thing, Bruce wants his proof, and but Doctor wants, them to, uh, wants him to escort them to the gate. Um, back underground, uh, the uh, <laughs> I've called them the subterranean minions. Uh, they're all going for the food, but Colin will eat because he's a twat. And uh, they think Salamander's come back, but he's Astrid. She's found a way down into the base uh, she's looking around uh, she finds the button that unlocks the door and there's loads of people clamoring around it and we get a good old-fashioned set wobble
1: uh, and they all attack her but colin stops them which proves that a broken twat is right twice a day
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love that but the thing is i kind of understand why they attacked her because they assume she's come from the surface therefore she must be carrying radiation yeah. So they wanted to go into the contamin- uh, decontaminator. The gag counter goes down and Astrid basically explains the trick straight away. Um, Mary repeats all the stuff about the war that she's been indoctrinated with and Colin just wants to find Salamander because he's a twat. Um, we get a brief moment of, uh, of Bruce sort of flexing his muscles uh, towards Benick's saying,
1: well, just before that, um, Astrid proves to them that the radiation chamber doesn't do anything. So, oh, that's that, that's what I meant when, when I said she she
0: reveals the trick. Yeah, she shows how you yeah, break yeah, the. But, um,
1: she puts the ruler in, doesn't she? It's a yeah. red ruler. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I did like that. Um, and he, like I said, we have Bruce flexing his muscles with Benick saying, "I'm world security controller. I make rules and break them." And men uh, to, I'm oh, sorry, that was to the uh, the captain, not to Benick. Uh, but the captain wants to report to Benwick. I didn't read my own notes right. Um, again, more clamour below ground. Astrid explaining the pod only takes two at a time. Um, saying she wants Mary and Colin to come last because apparently they're the leaders now that Salamander's gone and Swan's gone. Mary, maybe. But not Colin. Because he's a twat. He is a twat. Oh, we're back in the, uh, back in the records room. Uh, there's a door activated in uh, Benick and the soldier saying about the lookalike oh this is where old Giles is, uh, is sorry, if, uh, yeah, sorry Giles was near the records room um, he gets himself in because apparently he knows the, the system well he knows the glitch in it or whatever um, you see salamander in there saying he's careless as he didn't double lock the doors um, and they have a so they have a face-off. You know, Salamander saying he was always tiresome. Ken saying it was his biggest mistake not killing him when he had the chance. And Ken pulls a gun, and we see outside Benick, uh, Bruce, and the guard seeing Ken and Salamander inside, but they can't get through the door as it's made of an x alloy, an ex alloy, and they won't even be able to uh, to heat that sort of plasma cut the way through. Again, it's a bit Kevin Dunny this uh, this whole thing. It's very back and forth with
1: but still yeah.
0: somehow quite slow to get to the point.
1: I even stopped um, in this period of the notes saying where they were at any given time because it just felt like camera cut back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, but yeah, you know, we're hearing noise of the flame flamethrower as Kent's um, trying to open a secret hatch and says that he's going to a weapons catch. Um, yeah, it's...
0: Yeah. Um, but it could, you know it is calling Salamander dispensable as well. Uh, Bruce takes Bennett's gun for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. But um, the people down below are, are watching everybody sort of go up. Ken opens um, opens Salamander sort of bolt hole and gets the you know finds the uh, the way out essentially. But then it turns out that it isn't Salamander at all. It's the Doctor. Giles turns around and Astrid has a gun on him. And we find out, which actually made me me type in capitals, Giles took the people down there in the first place. Giles is a bastard.
1: Uh, And I think this is really interesting because Giles has obviously been on the out, but initially he was in on the scam with Salamander, and that's why he's so angry about it. Yeah,
0: and the people have come up, they thought he was dead. You know, and then Kent's trying to deny it, but him and Salamander were in it together. They built an atomic shell to tuck people down there for endurance tests. And the next person they saw was Salamander who told them about the war. And the Doctor is... The, Kent takes the Doctor hostage, essentially. The Doctor is so calm. He says, you didn't fool me, Kent. Any man who resorts to murder as eagerly and rapidly as you be as you must be suspect.
1: And I think this just shows how... Again, Trout and Axe, the fool, the whole way through, but he knows what's going on, and Mm he doesn't miss a trick.
0: Yeah, and we find out that basically Kent's wanted to kill Expos and essentially depose Salamander and take his place. And I've I've referenced a few times how I found the middle episodes a bit meandering and and a bit sort of plodding and, and, you know, like I said, Kevin Dunney, you know, lots of camera cuts, but very slow to get to the point but what a reveal yeah what a what a great reveal and it, it's it's almost worth sitting through everything just to get get to that point just to get to that big oh my god because it, it blew me away that that reveal yeah. I thought it was fantastic I didn't I didn't see it coming at all no. really fantastically written
1: and I think to a certain extent if it had come quickly it wouldn't feel as big.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's um, it's one of those where I'm quite happy to sit through it being, you know, some of it being a bit of a slog, because it's got me, you know, it got me at the end or yeah. near the end. But I'm not sure how quick I'd be to rewatch it if that makes sense, because it's never going to have the same impact again.
1: No, I I know what you mean. What you mean? Yeah, it's it's like when
0: people say, you know, that I'd, I'd love to watch x movie for the first time again yeah things like that yeah um, so with all this going on um, Bennick is detained and demands a fair trial um, Bruce orders all research personnel detained, the doctors on the uh, on the intercom for Bruce telling I mean, him that Kent's trying to blow them up and this is where I speculate was it explosives that Astrid could taste and why does she know what explosives taste like
1: Well, I suppose they live in a world where life's cheap, don't they? You know, I mean, we've just seen Mm. someone die in a living room.
0: Mm. True, true. Um, We get a face-off between the real Salamander and Kent in the tunnel. Um, Kent's basically in the last-ditch effort wanting to team up. But Salamander's quite quite happy to, to shoot him, essentially. And Salamander does, he shoots him and Kent lurches off salamander pursues and we get sort of an extended it's not quite a chase sequence it's more stalking you know kent finds a hidden passage salamander follows he shoots kent again and we get this sort of very dramatic point where uh, where giles kent says if he's going to die salamander dies with him and he pulls a lever that causes the explosion the acting again was a little bit hammy at this point but again big explosion main main villain dead new villain dead it's like wow <laughs> it went from it went from naught to 100 pretty fast towards the end of this episode
1: yeah it really um, did yeah
0: yeah and then we've got astrid saying about the people below ground um and the quality you know they want to bring them up and take them through the tunnels because it'll be safer somehow uh because you know the base has obviously been been it's effectively rigged to blow uh too dangerous for the doctor to uh, to go down below because they might mistake it for salamander and then we just cut to Jamie hanging out in front of the TARDIS and the Doctor staggers up. Quite obviously been in been in the wars. Literally looks like a bomb's hit him. Um, asks if uh, the Doctor's been followed, Doctor beckons Jamie into the TARDIS and asks him try and touch the controls. And Jamie said, but he never gets to touch the controls. And that's because it's not the Doctor, it's Salamander.
1: I love that reveal. I absolutely I, I loved it.
0: Because at this point, up, up until that reveal, I felt pretty robbed that we never saw the Doctor and Salamander in the same, even in the same, sort of on the same floor, never mind, in the same room. But that reveal of him as Salamander was brilliant, because the Doctor walks in, says that Kent didn't survive, and says, we're going to put you outside, Salamander. No safety, no friends, nothing. You'll run, but they'll catch up with you. And so we get the sort of the, the back and forth, the cutting between the faces that you'd expect. But then they go into a scuffle, yeah, which was really well done for the time.
1: Yeah, for 1967, I mean, you know, you, you could basically on other shows see the line in between when they were overlaying film. You, you didn't see that mm-hmm. here. Uh, and as we've said, no, this was incre- incredibly low budget compared with its peer group of programmes that it's competing against.
0: Yeah, it really was, absolutely. It's just fantastic work. Um,
1: but the Salamander gets the better of the
0: Doctor. Uh, Jamie tries to go for him, but Salamander touches one of the controls and he sets the TARDIS off. Um, and he falls out of the TARDIS and we're led to... Uh, Jamie looks like he's in some peril as well. And that's how it ends.
1: Yeah, it is lost in the... Um... Uh, in the time vortex, um, just like when uh, Commander Sinclair was uh, lost um, in the uh, between the jump gates in Babylon 5, which Cy Powell will cover in the Babylon 5 podcast uh, coming up.
0: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're not going to stop banging that drum, are you?
1: No, not until Cy actually legitimately does it. Um, you know, he's got a podcast about everything else, so why not Babylon 5? Why not?
0: Why not indeed? Um, but so normally this is where me and Sid give our thoughts on the episode. Um, I hope you don't mind me going first. Oh uh, no, no you gotcha. the, the, this was your pick. Um, I, I've given a few of my thoughts as as we've gone on, uh, but just to sum it up, I thought Trouton did very well playing two characters despite the bad accent. Benick and Farrier were two, and, and Griffin were three superb characters. Uh, Benick obviously got the advantage of being in all the episodes. We could we could have done with Marfaria and, and, and Griffin. Um, the middle bits, like I say, were a bit sort of meandering for me, and it's ultimately it's not going to go down as one of my favourite serials that I've ever watched. But I will I would encourage people to watch it because of that reveal at the end. It, may, it, it it almost makes everything so worthwhile you know, you've sat through and thinking what, what point are they getting to, what is going to happen here and it's in the last 10-15 sort of, minutes when everything just explodes quite literally <laughs> you know, with with the bombs going off um, so yeah I liked it, um, it, it was, I'm glad I watched it um, I won't rush back to it because as I say it won't have the same impact again and I'm not sure it's going to be worth sitting through the meandering middle bits to get to a reveal that I think is really good, but ultimately you can only view it once for the first time once.
1: Yeah, no, that, that, that's absolutely fair enough. Uh, one of the things I love about this is Troutman's performance, uh, especially his physical performance in terms of how his look can go from doctor to salamander, you know, in, in an instant. Um, I really love that. And, and we don't see that too much. I mean, we, we did see sort of in Family of Blood where Tenant, um, you know, is in the fob watch and we get, you know, part of the Doctor's performance and part of the John Smith performance. You know, so I, I really love it from that point of view. I, I love that it's a lost episode um, that we got to see, that essentially for many years we wouldn't have seen it, which I think adds to it, adds to its value and i love Troughton as a doctor um yeah. you know and doing the whole watch through um there are bits where Hartnell is it, downright unlikable um there's bits uh, in much the way that colin baker is later on I, i'm not i'm not a massive john perswitty yeah. fan uh, i did warm to him a bit more on the last rewatch um to be fair but you know, Trout and really, you know, from the, those early years stands out as the doctor for me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And um, uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with
0: everything you said. Um, like, um, it, it sort of slipped my mind for a second there that this was a lost episode. So I've got to thank you for bringing that up because, you know, otherwise, I, you know, it adds a bit more sort of gravitas to what you're watching and, you know, makes you appreciate it that little bit more. Um so yeah, really glad you picked it. It was uh, it was a good episode again. Um, like I say, not one of my favourites, but that, that reveal at the end was was something special and it's I suppose it's a difference between good episodes and great moments. Yeah. What and, I'm driving at.
1: and I don't think it's one that, you know, stereotypically people are gonna choose as a, a Trouton episode, you know, you, you hear Trouton and, and you instantly go to something like the Macro Terror rather than Enemy of the World. Um, you know, or Tomb, of the, Tomb of the Cybermen, which, which he did in um, season one. You know, so mm-hmm. it's maybe not an episode that gets that much love. But yeah, um, I think it's um, a great Troughton episode as opposed to a great Doctor episode, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so then, all I've got to do now is let people know where we're going next week uh, and then we can wrap up. So next week, I've decided that we are going to go, as I not so subtly alluded to earlier, we're going to go to Tom Baker. Uh, because I've completely fucked up the uh, the running order of this season. We're going classic who to classic who. And I had a short list of four. Uh, as I mentioned before, The Deadly Assassin was on there. I also had The Brain of Morbius. Because I'm pretty Ooh. sure that's been recommended to me as... I think it was by Europe, actually. It well, recommended I, I, the, to me as one to watch.
1: Yeah, The Brain of Morbius. It goes through Calm. It's got the systems of calm in yeah. that are, are in The Night of the Doctor. Um, and it alludes to the pre, and pre Hartnell doctors uh, as well. So, from a canonicity point of view, it really ties into so that of the whole timeless child and stuff. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not again. You know, you sit through all the episodes of it. Perhaps not the uh, the fastest moving or best episode, but in terms of where we sat with the current. Uh, canon and the arguments people have had on the internet about Chris Chibnall uh, I think it's a vital one to watch at some point for anyone out there
0: Yeah. Well, The other two on the list were Terror uh, Terror of the Zygons Mm. and because it was weird to me to see a two-parter in this era I had the Sontaran experiment on there and I was wondering how much of that would tie into the Sontaran strategy which was obviously David Tennant and Martha episode
1: um, um, not much. There is a bit of a tie-in to the Sarah Jane Santarin episode, to be fair, um, but it, it's quick as opposed to this one, which was very long. So that, that might be <laughs>
0: <better>. <laughs> Well, the thing is, the uh, the crusty Doctor very near. Sorry, the crusty Master very nearly um, swung swung my decision, but we've. We did an episode of the Master in in the first season. We've you know we've had Daleks, we've had Cybermen a fair few times. Um, we've and if but we've only had the fiftieth anniversary with the Zygons, and that was really more the fact that we just wanted to cover. The fiftieth anniversary is a special. We didn't actually want to do a Zygon episode, so I'm going to go for Terror of the Zygons next, the to Tom Baker, uh, the Tom Baker serial, and uh, I'm sure Sil will be thrilled when he finds out.
1: Well, that that's a nice link though, because you've had Donald Bruce, uh, his actor um, Colin Douglas, in this one, who played the the voice of the Rutons, which is the Zygon's mortal enemy. So, like you said before, yeah. So, it's like pain wrestling, this isn't it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, we're going to do a Doctor Who Hall of lame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, Ryan, one. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Rory. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Thanks for uh, accompanying me on this, Rob. I'm sorry you didn't get the full uh, Doctor Who pod experience with uh, with si They're saying he's not seen that uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, but it's been a blast, mate, as always. So why don't you let people know where they can find more of you and what you do?
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on. And at some point I, I would love to um, uh, be on with sai as well. Um, I-, I know I give him a lot of shit about the Babylon 5 podcast, um, which I just find amusing to be perfectly honest, but uh, it, it would have been great to catch up with him because it's-, it's always fun to have a chat with him and, and really honestly go out and check out some of his stuff that he's got on SJP world media. Um, uh, the show that he's got with um, his wife, um, uh, is it, great you know i love the quantum leap podcast uh, as well I, I was a massive fan of quantum leap back in the day again something that uh i watched with my mom uh, as i think si said he watched with his mom as well you know so
0: yeah
1: uh you know really love uh those episodes really enjoy uh, going through that so yeah uh, go and check Sai's stuff uh you can find me at utt rob it's really more about the mutuals and it is about the followers i'm absolutely more than happy to follow back um, in terms of podcasting, um, uh, it's very much wrestling-focused, so if you're just here for the Doctor Who, um, maybe not. But in terms of the wrestling world, um, I have pod- both the podcasts with Dan on Booking the Territory, where currently we're looking at the first and last of wrestling. Never so, heard of me. Who's a, is a nobody? Um Season finales, debuts, that kind of thing. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. I think when this episode drops, we're actually reviewing uh, a match from 1913. It's the oldest surviving wrestling match. Um, it's um, Fritensky versus Smekal. It was a match in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It's that long ago. And it's pretty damn good for 1913. Yeah, and, and the storyline behind it as well. Yeah, yeah. You really check it out. And And the story behind the individuals that were involved in the match... was incredible uh, and the life
0: unreal
1: and and what czechoslovakia went through uh, as a nation through for all that time as well um you know uh, we, we had a really interesting thing that's really worth checking out um our bonus series on booking the tankatory follows the ups and downs of the in ring career of the hardest man that ever lived, one David Tank Abbott. And that's really worth checking out. You can follow that at UTT Tank, where we'll have some hashtag tank facts, such as scientists say that um, uh, matter cannot escape a black hole. But Tank Abbott once called out a black hole and it couldn't get away fast enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love I absolutely love doing both podcasts with you uh, Tankatori really has taken on a life of its own recently it's, it's basically become the WCW 2000 appreciation podcast um, and yet you put you know Will Wax lyrical but if you don't believe us go and watch it for yourself
1: And to be absolutely fair, a lot of people hate WCW 2000. And when Terry Taylor had any involvement in the booking, it was fucking shit. And we're happy to uh, admit that. Oh yeah. When when Russo and Bischoff have the book, it's it's really entertaining. It really is.
0: It's like to to just chew on in a Stranger Things reference from uh, from Argyle in in season four. Try before you deny. Um. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are twenty-five years out of date. You've already heard the other podcasts I'm on from uh, from the main man himself, Rob. There. So most importantly, you can go and follow the show at the Doctor Who Pod on Twitter. That's the D R W H O P O D. Just yeah, just please you know interact with us. You know we're always up for a bit of Doctor Who chat. And also, you can find more of Sai's stuff, as Rob said, on SJP World Media. Uh, you were on Twitter, let me double check the handle. I'm pretty sure it's at SJP World Media. But I can never remember because, like I said, I'm woefully unprepared
1: for this shit. It is, it's, it's at SJP World Media. Hey, I got it right. At
0: SJP World Media. Sai, please never do this to me again at such short notice. Um, <laughs> I'm bad enough foot plugging my own stuff, never mind yours. <laughs> So yeah, go check all that out, all that good stuff. As Rob said, there's a myriad of shows there on SJP World Media, uh, the Doctor Who Pod, uh, Chain Wrestling, uh, Powell Palace. Uh, I know there's a few projects coming up. Um, there's a couple from Benny, uh, a couple more from Benny Mac.
1: I've seen a Murder in Mind podcast um, on the graphics. I'm imagining Marty's going to be doing that, and you've disappointed me, Marty, because you promised me a Murder in Mind slash Minder podcast.
0: Well, give him a chance. That might be season two.
1: Well, Ty knows the shit that he's got on the Bad Bull on Fire podcast. Mort is going to be getting some shit about the Minder podcast.
0: <laughs> I look forward to that playing out over Twitter, to be honest, because that that'll be a riot laugh. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for listening, and join us next week for Terror of the Zygons. See you then. But I suppose we better get into it properly. What the fuck did I just my brain just completely farted. Uh, I, I think we're
1: talking about, about Tank Abbott. We're talking about Tank Abbott, aren't we? The the greatest time traveller in the history of time travel.
0: Yeah, well it was well he knocks people back in time, doesn't he? was it was it something to do with wrestling or roller jam or
1: Oh the Roller Jam I episode won't have gone out by the time this goes out, people will be like, What's Roller Jam? You need roller
0: jamming your life, people. Yeah, but it's a tease. That's what it is. It's a tease. Keep an eye out on unbooking the territory in the next few weeks. We'll get the showing out early. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Si and Dan, usually. But as you probably guessed, uh, Si's not here this week. He's out on an ambassadorial cheese rolling mission.